Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 109 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the411mania.com website, and any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choosing. Joining me today is my usual co-host, the Alan Short of my Denny Crane, Steve Cook. Steve, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good, my brother, and we're shooting for six seasons of the movie. Am I right? There you go. We're hoping Six so. seasons of the movie. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> God, I would yes, love sir. it. Gotta, gotta do it before oh. Shatner passes, dude. <laughs> Oh no no no! Let's that will never happen. I I gotta tell you, even if even if William Shatner catches the COVID, he will kick out two point nine cents. I'm telling you, this is right true. now. Uh, I'm telling you, right, he will not die. He will never die, just like Matt Hardy version one. Nah, yes sir. That's, That's right. right. So Steve, yes. we have a uh, we have a lot of stuff to talk about. We got some news. We have AEW and NXT to talk about since the, it's the normal weekly show. We're yeah. going to start off with the news tonight, Steve. And uh, we start off with sad news. The unfortunate passing of Howard Finkel, Steve. Ah, yes. The Howard Finkel, one thing I have said as far as, as far as ring announcers go, as far as, you know, wrestling ring announcers go, as far as MMA, MMA ring announcers go, as far as any announcer for sport goes, I don't think anybody is more recognizable with their sport as Howard Finkel is the WWF. That guy was the ring announcer for WWF. Uh, for most of their major events through the 1980s and 1990s, they tried to phase him out and he still kept coming back. And he was just that guy who was always there. And you cannot find somebody who has a bad word to say about him. I mean, you can find, I mean, anybody who was there during that time period, nobody will say a bad thing about Howard Finkel. He was just a good guy. Just a good man. Everybody loved the Fink. You are right, Steve. And the thing with him is, I think when you put all of it together, and let's just call the category combat sports to include pro wrestling, I find him to be one of my favorite, if not one of the best ring announcers up there with a guy like a Jimmy Lennon Jr., who I always sure. thought was awesome. It's um, showtime! Yeah, and you know, yes. as you said, Howard Finkel just synonymous with WWE and how many guys do you ever hear in interviews talk about one of the most gratifying things in their career was when they won a championship. It was not that they won the championship, but it was when Howard Finkel would give the announcement and your winner and new everybody wanted to hear that. Yep. You know, and that was just like, I mean, he was so good, but that was his big calling card. And, yeah, so many people had great things to say when he passed away. And there were always, like, when he would end up attending a show in the last couple years, he was uh, in a wheelchair a lot of the time. Everybody taking pictures with the Fink. Everybody still loved him. And he was a guy that, you know, people just wished was around more and healthy. And, unfortunately, he passes away at age 69. And, um, yeah, definitely a loss to the wrestling world. I mean, especially... Especially, I mean, not just wrestling, fan, but, but like, if you were especially a WWWF, WWF wrestling fan, the man was there, he was the first employee there over 30 years, and yep. just, I mean, I mean, well, I'm sorry, well over that, but just, 
he yeah. was just um a guy that like when you think WWF that you think Howard Finkel, he's a big part of that. So Absolutely. Uh, he was the top ring announcer for any wrestling event for any WWF event in nineteen eighties or nineteen nineties or even past that. He was always a guy that was there to say and knew or whatever you want to say. He's also the guy who uh, was considered to be the expert within the company, who knew more about anything in the professional wrestling business, who knew all trivia things, who knew what was going on. He always, he always kept track of that stuff, and he always kept track of the outside stuff as well. I don't know if he talked Dave Meltzer a lot or not. I couldn't tell you about that. But, you know, the guy always has thumb on the pulse of wrestling business. Exactly. Very beloved figure in the sport. Uh, an unfortunate passing, but, um, you know, he. the good news is um, at least we're not talking like we used to back in the day about young death. Because, God damn, that <laughs> stuff took the life out of you. Oh, gosh, yeah. We're not here every week talking about somebody dying the age of 39 or 25 or where the hell. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So, we might get there at some point. Yeah, oh, no. Let's hope not, dude. Um, yeah. So WWE, Steve, still going to be doing the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. And yeah. this one is, it's either the greatest idea in the world or it's the <laughs> fucking weirdest idea in the world. WWE Money in the Bank will happen from the WWE headquarters in Stamford, Connecticut. The Money in the Bank ladder matches will have a unique stipulation of quote-unquote Climbing the corporate ladder, where the superstars begin on the ground floor, have to fight their way to the roof, and then climb the ladder and pick up the briefcase to win. It's been revealed that uh, WWE filmed some, if not if not all, of the event last week. WWE yeah. had flew in talent to the HQ, filmed several matches at that time. Taping reportedly happened in the early mornings until all the way close to midnight. Uh, it was described as tedious, with a lot of having to hurry up and then wait for the next shots to be properly set up. The reason for this is because the matches were shot in cinematic style, although it's unknown if that style means it will be more like the Boneyard match or the Tommaso Ciampa versus Johnny Gargano (laughs) match. Now, Steve Cook, what are your just initial thoughts on (sighs) this wacky-ass Money in the Bank stipulation and WWE going back to the cinematic well again? You know... I kind of like the idea of people, you know, going to Titan Towers and working their way up Titan Towers and going up to the top roof and climbing the climbing ladder and whatnot. But the whole thing with people climbing the corporate ladder in this day and age, to me, just sounds like fucking bullshit. I'm not going to lie. Oh, well, you got to climb the corporate ladder. Are we try? I mean, if I was WWE... I would be trying to hide the fact that I am a horrible, ridiculous corporation, uh, you know, trying to suck the souls out of people. I would just, I would stay away from all that, to be honest. And, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, I can see it working pretty well as a pay-per-view event or as a WWE Network event. You know, people going through Titan Towers and tearing shit up. And climbing up to the top of the towers and whatnot, but man, I I just don't see you know. Oh, you know, you got to climb the corporate ladder and be the corporate champion. That sounds like fucking bullshit to me. I'm sorry, I just don't see it working. Fair enough. I think that they're going back to the cinematic well too soon. 
Because you had two of those things at Mania, then you had Gargano and Ciampa right after that. I don't know if you really want to go back to that. I understand you need to do different things, and maybe it will help with these uh, ladder matches and stuff, because it's hard, as we saw at WrestleMania, we had a really good to great one at Mania that a lot of us enjoyed, but it's not easy to do with no crowd. No. No, it's not. So maybe this will help that. It will be interesting, but again... I think the thing they have to be careful of is Gargano and Ciampa felt really long because it was, and you're going to either have a weird like mixture of Edge and Orton or Gargano and Ciampa in these matches, I think. I really hope they don't go overly long and overstay their welcome because even in cinematically shot, nobody has time for 30-plus fucking minute empty arena matches, no matter what kind of setting they're in. They don't work. And they're climbing the fucking corporate ladder to be a corporate champion, you know? Uh, come on. And that's I just and no. that is all Fuck we're going to hear about on TV. Climb the corporate ladder. Climb the corporate ladder and be corporate champion because, goddamn, you know, you got to be corporate champion and we have to make money. And we got to make money. It's more important to make money than save lives. You know, that's what they're going to be pushing this whole month. Like, fuck that. I'm sorry, but, you I'm- know. <laughs> I'm absolutely like shocked that. that they didn't have it called like the the grab the brass ring match. Grab the brass ring, motherfucker! You know, goddamn Brody Lee, can you grab the brass ring, brother? Can you grab it? Can you grab it? Can you grab it, motherfucker? That's what so, he said. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, I, I don't. Know, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. Yeah, I don't know. It, it sounds. I'm not a fan of ladder matches at this point, to be honest with you. And I know that we had a lot of ladder matches and people buzzing their ass on ladders. I just don't see a point right now. Well, I'm kind I of don't like. See a point right now. I'm kind of like sick of WWE ladder matches right now. Because remember at the end of last year, we had like a couple in a row. Uh huh. Then we had like TLC. And then uh-huh. we fucking had the uh, the women had that one recently. Then we had the one at <sighs> Mania. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just kind of getting ladder matched There's no out. reason for that. Yeah, there's no reason. Except to, you know, I, no, uh, there's no reason for it. Gotta yeah, make the money. The money. The money. Yeah. So, <laughs> in other WWE news, WWE is actually not going to be shooting live all the time. They're going to buy weekly tapings because they got the okay <laughs> from their TV partners that they were... Allowed, and they're not going to lose out on their billions of dollars. Oh, goddamn. Yeah. So. For now. So. Well, I mean, I think it's smart. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, in terms of if you have to tape product, I don't want. I think live tapings and having to fly fucking people in a couple times a week <laughs> is absolutely stupid. So, um, yeah. Smartest move they can make in terms of if they have to do shows. Sure. What else can I say? <laughs> Honestly, what else can I say? What's the smartest move they can make that they they can make to do shows? Would be the you know not you know fly right in. You know we'll we'll fly Noe Jose in. We'll have him job out Babbly Lashley and men will fire his ass. Or you know we'll fly in Sarah Logan to job her ass out and we'll fire her, but we'll still push her a week after she's she's been fired. They don't know what the fuck they're doing. By Let's the way, did that not sound like the stupidest shit in the world that they were thinking of using her on Raw a week after, quote-unquote, breaking her arm? 
Well, you know what? I, yeah, it sounds fucking stupid, but you know, fucking Drake Maverick won the. He wants to work all these fucking shows after he's been fired. So, why wouldn't they say, "Well, me, Sarah Logan, will work more we'll like these shows"? Well, you know, I mean, if Drake Maverick wants to be an asshole and work all these shows after he's been fired, why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't they think, "Yeah, me, Sarah Logan, come in too"? Why not? Oh, good God! I don't know. I know you like that. I know you like Drake, but goddamn. I, I think I think Drake is doing this because he thinks he might be able to save his job. Because there's a I'm lot sure, of people that like him, so I'm sure he. Well, I'm sure he is. I'm sure that's what he thinks. But but well, you know, but that raises ex- expectations for people like Sarah Logan. You know, it's like what yeah. the fuck. <laughs> yeah. That's what happens when you have p- people who are part of a workforce and are they're not part of a union. They're trying to, you know, try and save their jobs. And they're raising expectations for everybody else. So, you know, Drake, Drake Maverick, try trying to raise expectations for everybody else. So like, I don't know. So, speaking of unsafe work environments in WWE, Steve, we got an Nia Jax yeah. story here. Oh boy, Nia Jax yeah. was on some there kind of go. fucking video call thing with a bunch of the other chicks and was talking about how Ronda Rousey was an unsafe worker and that she went to WWE and complained about her injuring Alexa Bliss. Fair. Because it fair wasn't complaint. professional. It's a fair complaint, yeah. And then on Monday, and then on Monday, <laughs> this fucking chick too. tries to kill Kyrie Zane with a fucking tree she slam did. into the fucking corner. I knew that was coming too. I gotta tell you, when I saw that match booked, I was like, "Oh, poor Kyrie Zane. <laughs> She's gonna be out of this company pretty soon." Now listen, she I'm not. Killed. I'm not yeah. saying that Ronda Rousey didn't rough up Alexa Bliss and hurt her. I'm not. She saying did. That. Yeah, yeah. What I'm saying is. It's really fucking rich for Nia Jax of all fucking people. <laughs> you know, the chick that punched Becky Lynch in her fucking face and busted her nose up. Well, you know, she had coming. And then, you know, tried to kill Kyrie Zane on Raw. It's really rich for well, her to be the one complaining about unsafe workers. You know, Nia Jax can complain about whatever she wants because she is protected. We know that. That's a fact. You think that they're going to fire Nia Jax? Well, no, I mean, dude, there's a fucking reason Tamina's still around and getting a title shot on pay-per-view. I cannot, uh, that's a thing. Like, why are they fucking pushing Tamina at this point when we have a Dark Side of the Ring episode on Jimmy Supervised Nuka about him killing his girlfriend and nobody really counteracting that uh, statement? And we're still pushing his daughter like, what the fuck? What the fuck? I I don't know. I, say, what the fuck? I will say one <laughs> thing about Nia Jax, Steve. I, I feel sorry for her in this regard. And it's something that people don't want to talk about, okay? Yeah, yeah. The fact is, she missed almost a year because she had to have both her ACLs reconstructed. That's bad. Okay? <laughs> That's rough. And she comes back looking exactly the same because WWE wants her to be the big monster. Right. Now, this isn't a Nia Jax needs to lose weight rant. What this is, is I find WWE being really fucking irresponsible for somebody who missed almost a year, and they want her to still be that big. Yeah. Maybe, maybe she should have trimmed on. Because let's look at Tamina's fucking injury history of tearing up knees and shoulders, and Tamina is nowhere near as big as Nia. No, not at all. Not at all. But Nia, the fact is... Nia's a bigger girl. Let's be but honest. But the fact it is, is, what it is, Tamina yeah. got older, and then she started breaking down. Tamina was old when she got signed. 
Yeah, but I'm saying she got even older. For God's sakes. <laughs> but the fact is, is how can you look at Tamina and look at Nia and then go, you know what? We should just tell her to keep this weight. We shouldn't tell her to drop some poundage and protect her <laughs> knees. Yeah. Because, I mean, here's the thing, too. Yeah, they're not going to get rid of her, Steve. I'll tell you what, though. She blows out another knee. That chick ain't <laughs> getting pushed ever again, and they're going to blame her for it. Oh, they will. Yeah. Yeah. They're Absolutely. they're going to claim that we told her to get into shape. And I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I guarantee yeah. you after she blew out two knees and had to go through all of that therapy, the last thing she wanted to do was stay that size. No. Because Absolutely. I'm sure she'd like to have her knees feeling better and not feel yeah. all the stress on that reconstruction. And yeah. I speak as somebody who was overweight when they had a complete knee reconstruction, and I actually had it happen twice. And I didn't lose the weight until after the second one. And I probably wouldn't have had to have the second one if I would have lost the weight the first time. He was only underweight now because he has no legs, pretty much. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm not going to lie. The amputation played a part of me dropping to 205. <laughs> But I'm also a healthier Larry, despite drinking a lot. I am terrible. I'm sorry. No, that's actually a good one. No, it is funny. Yeah, I'm horrible. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, Steve... We're we're saying that Nia Jax would probably love to lose some weight if somebody would let her lose some weight. You know, I I like the fact that Nia speaks up for some people from time to time. I I have no problem with her defending her friend Alexa Bliss, Steve. I don't. I just think it's really... She defended Alexa? She defended Liv Morgan? I'm okay with that. That's fine. I just think it's really... It's fucking rich that somebody who's considered dangerous is bitching about somebody else being it. Yeah, I mean... uh, Yeah, I understand. That would be like me telling people not to drink fucking whiskey sours all day long. Yeah, yeah. And me telling people not to drink bourbon. You know, it is what it is. It's all good. We all got our vices. No. So, anyway. Steve, the, the banner week here continues from last week for Vince McMahon. Yeah, he's a great fucking couple Former XFL commissioner Oliver Luck is suing Vincent Kennedy McMahon, claiming yeah. wrongful termination. He filed the yeah. lawsuit last Thursday. The lawsuit is alleging that Luck is owed money that he was guaranteed when he signed to become the commissioner of the XFL revival. <laughs> Luck reportedly signed a contract for twenty to twenty-five million for five years, and sources all indicate that the contract stipulated he'd be due the remaining balance if terminated without cause. Here's my take on this. You know what? Oliver Luck is the father Andrew Luck, and Andrew Luck is a genius. And Oliver Luck should be as well. He should be fucking smart than to put his lot with Vincent Kenny McMahon. He should be smarter than to say, you know, oh, yeah, Vince will pay me this money for this time. He should know better. He should be smarter than this. Goddamn. Am I right? You would think so. He is. I mean, Oliver Lux should, should have been smarter than the thing that this man will pay him for this nonsense. And, you know, the people that once say to us that the all oh, the XFL is this great football, they should have been smart enough to know that it wouldn't last. Why are all these people so fucking stupid? Is what I'm wondering. So what you're Oliver saying? Luck what and all the uh, all the experts are like, oh, the XXXL is a lot better football than we thought. You know, you know, obviously lasts a long time. God damn! Why are they all so stupid? Is what I'm wondering. So what you're saying is you didn't believe in the XFL, Steve? Not at all. Not 
that for a second. I didn't watch a goddamn minute of it. And you know what? Did it go away after a few weeks? Yes, it did. Do I feel less of a man for not watching it? No, I don't. It, it's always going to happen whether or not this... You know, I, I think they'll want to blame the coronavirus or, you know, whatever. But the, the ratings are going down every week. And the attendance is going down every week. And people knew this shit wasn't going to last. It's fucking spring football. And spring football never fucking lasts. So, god damn. Why? I don't understand. It was never going to last, is all I'm saying. Like, eh, fuck it. Uh, am I wrong? No, I didn't say you're wrong. It's just I, I love that you hate the XFL so much, though. I do. I I can't, you know, because people, oh, this is great football. These uh, fifth-string quarterbacks throwing balls to eighth-string wide receivers. Oh, this is fucking great entertainment. <sighs> what the fuck? <laughs> I'd rather watch any uh, a Bull, a Chicago Bulls documentary other than that bullshit, I'm sorry. <laughs> what? What are you trying to sell me on this shit? I'm sorry. <sighs> the XFL was great background noise for me as I rode on the weekend. I'm sure it was. You like you like the XFL. You like Dan Patrick and uh, Callan Cowherd and all that stuff. I'm I, sure. I don't did. listen to Cowherd. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Joy Taylor's not bad. So that's all I'm saying about that. <laughs> But yeah, so obviously XFL didn't last. Uh, last big Ollie Luck wants his money. Oliver so. Luck should get all his money. Is all I'm saying. But there I go. mean, Oliver, you know what though? Andrew Luck is supposed to be a genius. You know that's what you all heard. He's basically he's basically an architect. You know, a fucking genius. His father Oliver Luck has been the athletic director of West Virginia for years. He's been this you know commissioner guy. He should have known better and get in bed with Vince McMahon. Right, you would think so, Steve. But, he should have uh, known better, but he didn't because he's an asshole. <laughs> Come on now, so. that's all I'm saying. West Virginia, yeah. So. Anyway, the hits keep on rolling for WWE because, as we all know, they were deemed an essential business by the state of Florida, which allows them to <laughs> broadcast and put on events during the pandemic, right. even during the state of uh, stay-at-home order. Now, here's the thing: they were. You know, obviously classified as non-essential. They got classified. There's a lot of speculation on the payola there. And then this week, um, Spectrum Sports reporter John Alba reported that a WWE employee by the name mm. of John submitted a public comment during <laughs> the Orange County Board Orange County Board of County Commissioners meeting, uh, stating that WWE employees are being forced to work during the pandemic. This statement, Steve, says from our friend John, my employer, World Wrestling Entertainment, a.k.a. WWE, is forcing me to work at TV tapings for its weekly shows despite stay-at-home orders for the coronavirus. I am unable to speak out as I need this job, and I know I will be fired if I approach my higher-ups. Despite uh, sanitary precautions, we cannot maintain social distancing and have to touch the other people. I request the government to shut down these tapings and enforce so my colleagues and I may follow social distancing rules without fears of repercussion or losing our jobs, Steve. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. I'm just going to say he's not wrong. This man is not wrong. Here's the thing. Do you think this is a wrestler or like someone on the crew? I'm going to say somebody in crew. Somebody in crew. As much as I want to say to Jeremy Lambert, it was in fact John Cena. 
It's probably not, in fact, John Cena. It's probably somebody on crew. Blowing the whistle on Vespian. You know how much we hate whistleblowers in this day and age, Larry Zaga? We can't have people blowing the whistle. We can't have people, you know, calling people out on their, mistre- their mistreatment of workers in this day and age. But I'm sure that this, uh, this fella was on the crew, and uh, I, I have no doubt that this fella is 100% accurate in the fact that, oh, well, they, WWE will make these people work. There's no, no doubt in my mind on that. And people, you know, people say, well, they, they won't make them work. They bullshit. They will. They'll make them work. Yeah. And they now, now obviously, WWE <laughs> did respond to this story with the quote. Oh, yeah. These accusations aren't true. Yeah. Employees oh, yeah. know they can confidently go to human resources, not oh, the boy, public. Oh, boy, human resources. Oh, boy. Notwithstanding the appropriate <laughs> protocol, no one would be fired <laughs> If they were uncomfortable yeah. with their surroundings, we've made accommodations uh-huh. for individuals upon request. Yeah, you made sure. accommodations because Roman Reigns said, fuck y'all, I'm going home with my pregnant wife. Yeah, Roman Reigns is going home, he's not coming back. Let's be <laughs> and That's a good question. Will he ever come back? I don't know if he will. And I don't know if he should, to be honest with you. Listen, I again. I thought Roman Reigns get the hell away these people forever and ever. I, I said it when it happened. Good on the fucking big dog. Yeah. Number one, he has his own personal health issues. Number two, his wife is pregnant. He has no need to be around this bullshit. And I'm glad that he fucking stepped away and said, fuck it. Now, yeah. so, you know, people are to go, well, he's Roman Reigns. He can. Yeah, but that doesn't mean he was going to. How many <laughs> he times? He goddamn should. Yeah. Anybody who can step away should step away. Absolutely. Yeah, good on him. But yeah, I mean, um. And this is, of course, brought up the big uh, talk of should the wrestlers try to unionize. But, they never but, will. But here's the thing. Yeah. We all know if they tried, Seth Rollins would be the fucking Jesse Ventura and rat everybody out. No, the, you mean the Hulk Hogan. No, I'm sorry. The Hulk Hogan rat, yeah, not Hulk Jesse Hogan. Ventura. Yeah. Jesse Ventura is trying to... Yeah, let's not demean Jesse Ventura's name here. He, Jesse Ventura back in the day is the guy trying to get everybody unionized. And Hulk Hogan was the guy who ratted everybody out. I was like, yeah. oh, you know... Because Hulk Hogan was the Golden Geese. Seth Rollins is not the Golden Geese, but he think he's he thinks he is. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, Seth needs to learn to keep his God, mouth shut. What a fucking asshole that guy is. Let's be. Can we be on that guy? What is wrong with him? What's uh, wrong with that guy? He buys into his own hype. God damn. He's terrible. So. I terrible think, human being. I think that's all the news, Steve. Unless you have anything else you want to talk about? No, not really. Not 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 really. Not really. Not not specifically. Plus some stuff later on, sure. But you know, it's all it's all good. I'm I, cool. I right will now. ask: Did you watch the NWA Power on Camille? I saw part of that. I saw the uh, video package at the end with Camille. Yeah. Actually talking, which is pretty good. I like that. Yeah. She's got a voice. She she had and a nice little sub uh, three minute squash match with uh, somebody that was actually like really her her opponent was actually looked really good in terms of doing her job in that match. And yeah. I thought Camille came off well. I thought overall they um they did a nice job of it, it was an overall about twenty five minute presentation hyping her history with Nick Aldis and strictly business and then. The match and then that video package, which uh, you, know, g- you got to give it to Dave Lagon and the NWA guys. They do some really good video packages. They do, they do. 
And uh, Camille came out on this video package and she uh, spoke her piece. And uh, everything she said, as far as I could tell, was 100% accurate. You know, she was held back, you know, because she was a athlete and people don't like women athletes. You know, as far as as far as high school athletes and far as college athletes go, oh, we don't like them to be too good. You know, and it's a tough situation. It is what it is. But uh, yeah, she came off really well. I thought. Agree. Seems like a. And Steve, I mean, honestly, would Camille lie to us? No, she wouldn't. Absolutely not. That's right. So, no, I thought that, she's never lied to us before. That's right. I, I thought that was a good little piece of business. I enjoyed that. Again, a nice short presentation, making the best out of the footage that they had and stuff that they were trying to do um, with the uh, match that they had taped for and then putting together that video package. So I enjoyed that. Um, I also watched the uh, first part of TNA Rebellion or Impact Rebellion. Sorry on them. Impact. They, they got me it's all confused Impact, when God they ran that fucking TNA special one week because they were trying to hype that show that unfortunately so didn't now, happen. Now you think of TNA all over again. That's right. So, but uh, the Impact Rebellion Part One special uh, was a really, really solid, leaning towards good show. The only thing that held it back, I thought, was. Uh, had the opener with fucking uh, Tommy Dreamer and Rhino, which were the problem. And uh, well, they're tagging, always a problem. Yeah, tagging <laughs> with uh, the returning Crazy Steve against oh, OVE. Boy. That's me. And that was like okay because like fucking Rhino and Tommy Dreamer have to fucking win again, and OVE is a bunch of fucking jobbers now. And everything in the middle was good. The the uh, three way tag match was good. Uh, uh, Willie Mack and Ace Austin was a really good match with a title change to Willie Mack. And then I thought uh, Kylie Ray and Kiara Hogan had a good match as well. One of the better matches on the show. And then the main event was an unsanctioned match with Ken Shamrock and Sammy Callahan. And after How'd that go? well after Sammy Callahan had lost the title to Tessa Blanchard, he went away. He came back kind of doing a play on his old hacker gimmick, so it's like a reboot of Sammy Callahan. He fireballed Ken Shamrock in the face. So they have this match, and it starts out, and it's like maybe 12 minutes long altogether. First five or six minutes is in the ring, brawling around, and then they go to the back. And then it turns to the cinematic presentation. So they fight in the back. OVE attacks Ken Shamrock. Sammy turns on his old friends. They go outside and brawl. And at the end of the day, after the big reboot of Sammy Callahan, Ken Shamrock fucking makes him pass out with an ankle lock. There you go. And all I could think of is, why did you put all that time into trying to reboot Sammy? Yeah, I saw some bullshit where they had this this whole angle where they had Ken Shamrock, you know, stooging to these guys with masks and whatnot. It looked like the stupidest bullshit I ever, I ever saw. It looked bad, and so I'm not surprised that the the match came out bad as well. It was, I'm not gonna lie. It was technically okay, <laughs> but like the booking it was, was technically just, okay. okay. But the great. booking was just perplexing to me. Well, you know, I mean, you gotta put your Ken Shamrock over. Yeah, 2020 man, gotta have Rhino and Ken Shamrock going over. Well, I mean, uh, when the option, the other option is Sammy Callahan. What the hell can you do? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, you you probably like Sammy more than I do. That's all I can say about that. I think Sammy is a fine professional wrestler, and I'll leave that at that. There you go. <laughs> so, 
All right, so that'll wrap up that section, Steve. We got to talk about our weekly shows, starting with AEW Dynamite. We opened with a Cody video package with him in front of a bunch of big screens, kind of breaking down everybody in the TNT title tournament. I think uh, Cody was missing the uh, the NCAA selection tournament, so he was. Yeah, he was. Yeah, but uh, he he um he talked about the participants looking at uh. Everybody's desire to win the title. Uh, he has a desire to win, but is he the quote-unquote three-star general of the mid-card that oh, broke boy. the throne because he was afraid to sit in it? Here, T.J. Hawk talking about him, apparently. No, that's actually a throwback to Kenny Omega when they started that Bullet Club feud. Oh, and okay. Kenny was talking to She's like, oh, look, it's the fucking three-star savior, Cody. Oh, so T.J. <laughs> took that off of Kenny Omega. Okay, I guess. I Probably. But um, he was talking about that and was questioning if he was ans- ready to answer the call of 32 years of history on the Turner Networks. Yeah. Complacency is a dirty word in wrestling, but an ally to the top guys that are just collecting checks. None of the participants in this tournament are that. There is will and desire here, but who has enough to win it? I thought it was yeah. a nice little video. I liked it. I liked that. I thought it was pretty fun. I, I like that they keep putting over the tournament is important. There are stars yep. in the tournament, and they've been focusing these shows on the tournament well. It's a TNT championship, for God's sakes. It's a network title. That's right. It's, uh, it's got to be a big deal. And I feel bad for Cody's hair, to be honest with you. <laughs> he's going he's going back to that brown phase of his life, is what I'm saying. It's well, not looking great. Apparently, he forgot to dye it, man. Apparently, the you know he's good. That's why Georgia has to open up to have those hairdressers open up to, so Cody can go in there and get his hair tied. <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> sure. All I can say. I'm pretty sure Brandy could handle it for him if they bought a little store bought. Well, I mean, she hasn't yet. <laughs> well, you know, maybe he's blonde again. We don't know. This was taped a while back. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a fair point. We'll see how it goes. So we had I don't know, Steve. It is a fair piece of business. We had your best friend, uh, Le Champion Chris Jericho, and yes. Tony Schiavone on commentary once again. Yes, the best the best commentary pairing in business right now, let's be honest. Uh, they are fantastic. We got a Sammy Guevara, Darby Allen video package hyping up our yes. opening match for the night, which was the TNT Championship uh, tournament quarterfinal match between Sammy Guevara and Darby Allen. They started off hot and heavy with the action on the floor <laughs> like they did back at the uh, Revolution pay-per-view, so it was a nice throwback to that. Yeah. And uh, these guys, obviously we keep talking about, in a few years they are going to be some of the bigger stars for this company. They, they better be. They, they keep delivering. Uh, at the end of the day, Darby Allen, um, after ripping off Sammy Guevara's boot during the match and trying to break his fucking ankle... Yeah. Um, defeated sure Sammy did. Guevara at 11 minutes via pin. And uh, Steve, with I thought... Last supper. Yeah, I thought this was a good match, a smart playoff of their pay-per-view match, and it continues their rivalry very well because they have good chemistry. And um, this is one of those feuds that we're again we're probably going to see for years to come, and I'm here for it, dude. We're going to see these these guys going at it for years to come. You know, with Darby and with Sammy going at it for years to come, and I think Cody will be going at it with both these guys for years to come. Be honest with you, because it's just kind of one of those things where all these guys have really good chemistry and. Darby and Sammy have really good chemistry. And, you know, fucking Sammy dived onto Darby to uh, continue that. Uh, it was kind of that impact from the last, the last match, as you said. And, uh, oh, God, yeah, Sammy hit that 
you know, you, you had mentioned the splash at that Sammy Hill and Darby on the fucking ladder. Ugh. Yeah, Sam, that was terrible. Sam, Sammy made a ladder bridge at ringside, laid Darby on it, and then hit him with a yeah. top rope splash, which he hit that Darby and then, then fucking just kind of bounced <laughs> off of Darby. That killed everybody. <laughs> I am the was, ladder. Yeah, exactly. He, yeah, I am the ladder is what happened there. It was a bad piece of business for everybody involved. It was a bad time, but, uh, you know, watching these guys go at Sammy had a little bit more bedazzling going on more than usual. It's a pretty good piece of business. I liked it. And, uh, you know, Jericho going commentary. And, you know, the, the right guy won because... As much as as I love Sammy Guevara, I think Darby Allen's the right guy to face Cody Reds right now because we, we all want we all want to see that next match between Cody Cody and Darby. I think we do. Plus, they already took the time to tease us for it with that uh, Darby and Cody post match angle a couple weeks back. Oh yeah, so it, it makes sense. I mean, honestly, I think we'll we'll agree that either match would have been really good because Sammy, either one would be fine. Sammy yeah. and Darby have worked with Cody in the past. They work They're great. well together. They're all yeah. great. Yeah. So, but Cody and Darby has a really nice history to it again. With Darby, you know, initially taking him to that draw and everything, and I'm looking forward to it. It's it's, it's good stuff. Good piece of business. So we went off to the Hardy Compound, Steve. Yes, we did. Where um, Broken Matthew was uh, laying out his uh. Challenge to the whole of the ass, Chris Jericho, to come mm-hmm. to the compound. But Chris Jericho did not respond to this challenge. And all, no, why would he? All, all the broken ones saw on Dynamite was an episode of the Bubbly Bunch where Sammy called him out. And yeah, Jericho or Hardy was not happy with this uh, false Spanish god. Invited Sammy to the compound to fight Jericho's for a battle for him, and he would delete him. And then uh, he talked about how Jericho might not know to not might not know how to handle his broken brilliance, so he kind of just turned into regular Matt Hardy and talked to him and yeah talked about why he sided with the elite and his history with Jericho and how AEW is not here just for Chris Jericho, and then he could send Sammy if he wants because he'll kick his ass, and then he'll wait until he gets Jericho and he'll kick his ass as well. And the champion was not pleased after this whole video package. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. He did not put it. He did not. It was not throughout this business at all. We saw the actual Matt Hardy in uh, AEW, which was a shock to me, because I thought we'd just see Broken Matt throughout. But we saw the actual Matt Hardy, so we'll see what happens from that. I'm shocked that they're two different people. Right? They they, like, they, they the- got me. Seriously, I thought, you know, I thought Matt Hardy was the vessel for Damascus or where the hell, you know. Oh, you know it's it's we'll hard, see how it hard goes. to tell these days, Steve. It's always hard to tell, but we'll see how it goes with Chris Jericho and Matt Hardy. This issue will be will be settled at some point, I'm sure. That's right. So we got a um another one of the little Taz breakdown videos where he examined Kenny Omega's Snapdragon Suplex and V Trigger and I like these little yeah. videos. Yes, yes, that's good. And we got to see both those moves in the next match. That's right. Uh, Kenneth Omega battled uh, Alan Angels, who Chris or Jericho... Angles or where the fuck he was. <laughs> yeah, who, who Chris Jericho, again, had a fucking ball just destroying his name throughout the match. <laughs> he had some weird ring attire. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he, he was interesting. Sh- he was shopping with Stu Grayson. Probably so, but you know the relationship between Jericho and Omega is interesting. I will say. 
It is, because during this whole match, uh, you have Chris Jericho, who <laughs> calls him a pumpkin-headed idiot, and that... He a pumpkin-headed dipshit, yes, let's be honest. And then um, yes. admits that he doesn't like him at all, but at the same time respects him for how great he is after their clash yeah. at the Tokyo Dome. One of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, Jericho again, really good here. Kenny Omegan defeated poor Allen. They went about six yeah. minutes. A little enjoyable outing. For Allen got a lot of offense in, you know? Yeah. I think, you I think, give some think Kenny wanted to work on, man. He did. Kenny wanted to work out. You know, I mean, Jericho even mentioned on commentary, you know, so this is kind of a warm-up match. It's like, you know, sometimes guys want to go out there and get a workout, and Kenny got a workout, and then eventually Kenny was like, well, fuck this guy, you know? Yeah. The, the thing I liked was the finish, because Kenny Omega did not use the one-winged angel on this geek. Why would he? Exactly. No that. But that's yeah. the thing. I mean, that's the one thing that annoys me all the time. You don't always need a finisher to fucking finish the job, guy. Yeah. He had a doctor true. bomb and a V-trigger, and that was it. So there you go. That's that was a pretty bad V-trigger, too. He fucking needed that guy in the head. <laughs> well, that's what Alan that Angles gets for fucking giving him too much of a fight. Damn right. <laughs> so. It's like Jake Roberts, you know, Jake the Snake, you didn't have to hit the DDT every time. You can finish on with something else. So. Maybe a shortened clothesline or something. That's all right. You know. That's right. So we got yeah. next up was a profile package on Scorpio Sky that I thought was really well done. Yeah. Breaking down his rough road into the sport of professional wrestling. It was something he always wanted to do. His mother, while she was alive, was always very supportive of him. Talks about the back injury that almost ended his wrestling career, but he he pretty much assumes through the power of uh, just staying positive and uh, prayer and the everything. The power of positivity? Yeah, I mean, uh, everything kind of sorted itself out, and he got back into wrestling. He had a lot of chances, but was never uh, signed. He kept trying, knowing that he may fail, and the video package ends at 2017 when SCU was formed, and they promised it to be continued. Well, there you go. Yeah, I thought that was a good little piece of business. And again, these are things they should be doing on these shows to kind of fill some time and to yes. talk about the people that aren't there. Yeah. So we like Scorpio d- Sky or SCU in general. That's right. Yes. So we got a, uh, a brief recap of uh, being the Elite 200 and the Matt and Nick Jackson match. Did you catch that at all? I did not catch. I have not watched that episode. If yet. you got 25 minutes, go watch it. It's fucking enjoyable. Hmm. I promise. Is it the now? I've heard the I've heard the implication that this might be the finale of the Being Elite series. Do you, do you get that impression? Or is I, that I don't know. Some people have said that, but at the end, like they were talking about the match in the car, and then they were like, they were like looking like they were going to drive off with the emotional music, and then Nick was like, "Well, you know, there's that one thing we still said we were going to do." Well, there you go. So. I'm sure there's going to be something I feel else. like it'll be, uh, he'll probably come back, I'm sure. I've not seen it as of yet. But uh, was Tracy Brooks involved? Unfortunately not, no. Close second. Well, you know, see, that kind of diminishes my enjoyment, you know. I think you should Much watch it, though. You would enjoy it. Tracy Brooks, a good person. Trust me, it's funny. All right. So we had, uh, again, one of your best friends, Orange Cassidy, with the best yes. friends at ringside. Yeah, Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor. Happy birthday, Chucky T. I think we're past his birthday at this point in the evenings we're recording this, but his birthday at some point. And then we got Chucky e. T. We got Trent. They're heading out there. They're going against, uh, God, Jimmy Havoc, this guy. 
Well, tell us about this guy. Well, you got a problem with him? I don't. I personally <laughs> don't. I think he's a good. I think he's a good citizen. He's a good gentleman. I, as far as I'm concerned, I'm just a little bit worried about the diseases he might be carrying to the ring. Okay. You don't think there's a lot of diseases he might be carrying there? You know, he seems like a dirty kind of guy. Am I wrong? Uh, I saw his apartment on MLW when he was fighting with Mance Warner. Surprisingly clean place. Really? Well, okay. Was he living with uh, with Kip and with uh, Penelope at the point? I don't know for sure because I'm not sure when they taped that. But like mm. the the place that they were fighting in looked surprisingly clean. I'm just saying, doesn't he seem like a dirty kind of guy? He, I mean, he he seems pretty sketchy. I'll give you that. Uh, yeah, okay, that's why it's getting it. It seems kind of kind of a little sketchy. Is all I'm saying. I'm not saying the guy's uh, you know a complete waste. I like him with uh, with Kip and with Penelope. It's a good little faction there. And he got a little, he got a lot of offense against Orange Cassidy. I don't know if Orange Cassidy weighs in for it against Jimmy Havoc because Jimmy took a lot of the offense in this match, was carrying a piece of business. But uh, at the end of the day, there's some distractions, there's some stuff going on, and uh, Orange wound up getting the win after being beat up for a match. That's right. Orange Cassidy picked up the win a little over nine minutes. Uh, enjoyable match overall, but for me, the... Um, the thing that hurts this is, like, I thought everything they did was, like, nothing was bad. I thought it worked. But the Orange Cassidy stuff just plays so much better with a real crowd. Yep. Yeah, exactly. If you have a real crowd playing off of Orange actually doing something, like, ah, holy shit, yeah. holy shit. Yeah, but, yeah, it didn't really play as well in this particular environment. Yeah. Very so. solid stuff. I enjoyed it overall. And it but it's good to see Jimmy Havoc on, on Dynamite. I enjoyed that. It was. Yeah, I mean, and I like, and I do like the faction with Jimmy and with Penelope and with uh, Kip Sabian. I think that's a good little deal there. That's right. Jimmy Havoc laid out Orange Cassidy post-match, which will lead to something else later on. And I also think Jimmy Havoc's a disgusting human being. There you go. You know, I mean, uh, am I wrong? I think most people seem to think that. (laughs) Well, I mean, that thought's out there. I'll give you that. I don't know James Havoc personally, Steve, so I can't. He looks like the kind of guy who might be carrying a lot of diseases. You know, is all I'm saying. I'm uh, that's just that's just what I hear through the grapevine, if you will. That's right. So we got an MJF update. Yeah, we did. MJF has been dealing with something big. He's been talking about on social media. It's been depressing the fact that he hasn't been wrestling on TV for all of his fans. Yeah. And the reason he hasn't been here, Steve, is that during his last appearance, he suffered a severe injury while throwing cash during the gambling. It was sure. a very bad hangnail, but he gambled through to the end of the show. But unfortunately, this became a life-threatening ailment. But he yeah. promises that he's going to rise from the ashes like a phoenix, and he will return to win the world title, Steve. And I think all we can say is thoughts and prayers with MGF through this time. That's all I have to say, to be honest with you. I mean, I saw certain websites pushing these updates. Oh, my God, MJF, you know, he tweeted something about this bullshit. It was a fucking angle. Everybody knew that. Yeah, he's he's a little bit of a worker. I don't know if you knew that. And I saw every website pushing this like, oh, it's a MJF pushes. Oh, my God. No, he's no. Stop. Yeah. I'm sorry. You know, that's uh, yeah, I you know, I I don't blame MJF for doing what he does. I blame people for buying into it because they're fucking stupid. 
Right. So, speaking of a life-threatening situation, uh, Lee Johnson had to face the Wardlow next. That's a life-threatening situation right there, and Lee Johnson did not last very long. The Wardlow killed this young man in just yes, over two minutes, and yeah. it was not because Lee Johnson was putting up a good fight. It was because the Wardlow was just having fun throwing him around and getting his reps in. <laughs> Absolutely. And then he, Absolutely. he finished him with the old F-10 where he fucking helicoptered this motherfucker. <laughs> he killed him. He killed him. It's fine. It's good stuff. I liked it. Good times. Yeah. And again, that's all it needs to be is just him destroying people. It's like he had a match on Dark a couple weeks ago. It was like 20 seconds. He just fucking. Yeah, that's all you need. He, he took his that's coat off need. and fucking murdered this dude. It was awesome. Yeah. He's Mr. Mayhem. That's all you need right there. Yeah. So. Kill a guy. We went to a. And I. Yeah. <clears throat> sorry. We went to a Dark Order video package where we saw a. Uh, a gentleman drinking in a room as he was getting bad news on the phone. He was getting a, a yeah. Dear John call, and he was well, watching some football on TV. We're led to believe he was a former football player, Steve. Was he watching XFL? He's watching the uh, Detroit Montre Knights against the Houston Cougars or whatever the fuck it was. Yeah. I don't know. But he started searching <laughs> online, and he found the Dark Order and sent them a message for help. Which yeah. led to this gentleman leading with meeting with the exalted one Brody Lee, and of course, Mr. Bro- Brody Lee, Mr. Brody yes. Lee asks him uh, how big you are, and he's like six two. He's like, how much do you weigh? He's like two forty. He's like, did you play okay. college football? And he's like, yeah. There you go. All right, <laughs> Which, that that, good. That, that's that's the Jim Ross Mr. Command playbook right there. <laughs> did you play college football? There you go. So he, and uh, Mr. Brody Lee said some people have success handed to them. Um, and he's, but some of them are afraid of it. He's not afraid of success. And they offer the power of the dark order to this young man. And he gave him a, a mask and a home. And yeah. all, all I could think of when this was over, Steve, is it's really nice to see that the exalted one is taking in former XFL players and giving them work. God damn it. Somebody needs to, somebody needs to, so as much as you, you all tell me the XFL is awesome. They should all have some work. When I did agree. I ever tell you it was awesome? Well, you and Jeremy and Sam and Katie all told me XFL. I said FL I was awesome. watching it as I worked on the weekends. And That's what you all told noise. me. Jeremy Lambert will back me up. He he was all about the XFL. Trent Howell, the Voodoo Penguin, is all about the XFL because the you know St. Louis had a team in the XFL for some reason, and you know oh, wow. they're all about it. All about that the XFL. You can ask Voodoo Penguin. He will tell you. He was all about that spring football. There you go. So speaking of the exalted one, Mr. Brody Lee, he killed a young man named Justin Law next in two oh, minutes. Oh, gosh, yeah. It was yeah, he beautiful. He just yeah. beat the shit out of this young man. And, uh, As you should have. Not only that, but during and after the match, they were teasing uh, the upcoming clash with another young man that's unfortunately going to die, Marco Stunt. What is Marcus Dunn thinking? What's his problem? He learned nothing from that ass-beating Lance Archer gave him. (laughs) He obviously didn't. He obviously didn't because he'll go out here next week and get his ass kicked by Mr. Brody Lee. But, uh, yeah, Mr. Justin Law, you know, I got to tell you, if your name is Justin, you got to have a better last name than Law is all I'm saying. You got to be Justin Credible, Justin uh, Tolerable. Just an asshole. Something like that, right? Well, all I know is Brody Lee fought the law, and the law did not win this time. No, the law did not win against <laughs> law did not win against, against Mr. Brody Lee, a good man, a gentleman scholar. The uh, Backstage, the best friends in Orange Cassidy were interviewed with the best friends challenging Jimmy Havoc and Kip Sabian to a tag match down the line. 
Who was interviewing them? I Who don't know. At that point, you know, AEW has so many interviewers at this point, we can't keep track of them. I know it, was, I know it wasn't uh, Jennifer Decker. I know it wasn't uh, Alex Marvez. I know it wasn't uh, Lexi Nair. I don't know who that was. Maybe it was QT Marshall's wife. Maybe it was. Could be. I mean, they were in his school. Who the hell knows? <laughs> Could have been. Yeah, exactly. Could have been anybody. But uh, I'd like to see more Miss uh, Jen Decker's all I'm saying about that. There you go. So, yeah. Steve, um, to brighten everybody's day, the Bubbly Bunch returned. Yes, they did. But unfortunately, Sammy Guevara was a very sad panda. He wasn't very happy. He was just he happy, was man. downtrodden and upset, and Ortiz and his stuffed animals tried to give him a pep talk, and <laughs> Hagar tried to tell him he was too beautiful to be upset, and then Jericho said he's gonna. they need to dance and be happy, and he offered up... Hand sanitizer is a prize for them to do a flim flam video, which was a mock of TikTok, and they all danced, including Jake Hager doing a wacky dance, Sammy Guevara going insane with backflips and shit, which led to the champion getting a little pissed off and closing with, enjoy your hand sanitizer, Sammy. He was not <laughs> pleased. All I got to say is, Jericho, I hope he sent a little royalty to uh, Shaws and McKenzie here. Okay, that's where I was going with it because they're stealing Shaz's gimmick here. And I was pretty mad about that. Like, you're all stealing this girl's gimmick. That's what she does. It's like, what the hell? And uh, this kind of, you know, this kind of lays the seeds for what's going to happen eventually down the line. There's a little bit of dissension between Jericho and Sammy. And we all know at the end of the day, what happens is that Sammy will take the reins in the inner circle from Jericho. That's what can happen in the day, right? I th- I think so. I think that that's what can happen at some point because Sammy will learn the lessons from Chris Jericho, and he will take his faction out from under him. Although all that's I'm going to say is Chris Jericho would completely disagree with you because the inner sure circle are good lads. They don't drink I'm on sure, the job, yeah. and they've never hit each other with their finishers. I'm sure he would say that. I'm just I'm just pointing out what's going to happen in the day. I'm just pissed off for. for you're, you're my good friend, Shazza McKenzie. This is her whole gimmick doing the TikTok or the flin flam. Where the hell she does. That's that's her whole gimmick. I'm a little mad these guys are taking from her. I don't know. That's all I'm saying. So, got a video package to hype up Dustin Rhodes and Kip Sabian, which was our main event for this evening, Steve, with Dustin teasing that if he absolutely lost to that son of a bitch, Kip Sabian, he would retire. That's not a good move. I'm telling you right now, I pointed out in the column I did on chairshot.com, you know what, if he's going to retire after, if he loses Kip Sabian, if he wins against Kip Sabian, he's going to face Lance Archer, and Lance Archer will, will retire his ass, is all I'm saying. Lance Archer will, will make that man retire. There you go. So Dustin Rhodes yeah. won the match, Steve. He did not retire, 1420 via pin. Yeah, he I thought they had a good match here. Um, Kip is a dude who I keep feeling has a lot of unrealized potential, so I think getting to work with Dustin was really great for him. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, I do like the potential, the the little group with him, Penelope, and uh, Jimmy Havoc going forward. Kind of yes. gives them all something to do, a little something different for all three. And I think we can agree, Dustin moving on is the right call because he's going to face Lance Archer. And Lance Archer will kill him. Yes. But the other thing is, not only is Lance Archer going to kill him, Lance Archer is going to beat a name, and it also furthers the tease of Lance Archer and Cody in the finals, mm-hmm. which is what we talked about when this whole tournament was set up. 
And even if Darby Allen actually beats Cody, it will tease a thing with Cody and Lance Archer after that. You exactly. Know, yeah, it's all kind of tied in but right now. But, uh, yeah, fine match between these guys. I enjoyed it. And Dustin Rhodes, I don't want Dustin Rhodes to retire. I think he's doing some great work, but it looks like that's what he wants to do. And, you know, Kip didn't get it done. Lance Archer will get it done. Lance Archer will beat his ass. And, uh, you know, what's uh, what's his whole tagline? Everybody dies? Yeah, Dustin Rich will die. That's what's going to happen there. So, announced for next week, Steve, John Moxley will speak. Yeah. Marco Stunt is going to die at the hands of Brody Lee. Yeah, he's going to pass away. We have our semifinal matches in the TNT tournament of Cody versus Darby Allen and Lance Archer versus Dustin Rhodes. Yeah. And we also have a no disqualification tag team match between the best friends and Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc. I like it. That'd be good. So, so I think they did a lot of good job to set up on uh, next week's show, which we'll talk about later on. And uh, that is going to take us over to our second show of the night, Steve. The old NXT show on the, yes. what is it, the USA Network there? The USA Network is what they're still on, as a matter of fact. There you go. I, was, I should know that, obviously, by You now, should but... know that, I would think. That's 20 years. <laughs> so we discovered uh, at the beginning of the show that Finn Balor had apparently been attacked backstage and he was out of his planned main event with the Velveteen Dream. Oh, my God. What the hell? Can you Shocking. imagine? What kind of rapscallion would do that, Steve? Oh, who knows? Goddamn. So the show started off in the ring with Velveteen Dream arriving. Adam Cole quickly interrupted. Basically said, he kind of ran Velveteen Dream down. And um, Undisputed Era minus Kyle O'Reilly arrived. They attacked and beat shit out of him until Keith Lee made the save. Setting up our new main event. Because we have to have a Teddy Long special. Tag team match, play, 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 holla, holla, holla. So what was the real deal? I mean, what happened there? Is there a reason that uh, Finn Balor and Velveteen Dream couldn't happen? Well, what? maybe they there... realized that it was a stupid match to book because neither guy can lose. Balor's well, being heated up for Walter still. Dream's being heated up for the title shot that I think is still a bad idea. What has that stopped them before? Well, this is true, but I'm 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 liking the I'm hoping that just like I'm hoping that they looked at it and Hunter was like, yeah, that's probably a bad idea. We should just. I don't think that's... I don't know. I, we'll see. I don't know either, but I'm just saying. Thankfully, they didn't do it. So, Steve, we started off with your main event of the evening, I know. Yes, sir. D- Dakota Kai and Raquel yes. Gonzalez versus Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan oh. Knox. And at the end of the day, um, Big Lady Cole and um, you know Lady Shawn Michaels ended up beating Shotzi and Tegan Knox at yeah. about 742. Fucking sucked. I was bad. I was pissed off. I'm sure you were. Um, yeah, Gonzalez uh, basically hit like a big choke bomb on Shotzi. Fucking, for the win. you know, spikes Shotzi's head in the mat. No, I was pissed off. I love Shotzi. She's fantastic. I know. How dare she lose these jabronis? You know, and, you know, and I see interviews on the internet. Oh, well, they want to try to, to compare Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez to Shawn Michaels and Diesel. Fuck off with that shit. <laughs> right? Who would actually think that's a thing? Come on. No, I mean, nobody's going to compare them specifically to those two, but that's the gimmick they're obviously going for. Good God. That's ridiculous. That's that's some nonsense right there. Shotzi should run over these people without a a breath. Come on now. Well, she she got killed. 
Well, yeah, and I saw Tegan Knox trying to headbutt Raquel Gonzalez, which is a bad idea. <laughs> like, she tried to headbutt the girls. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Hey, well, it worked for it worked for a little bit, and then Shotzi lost it for him. It did not work. Yeah, Shotzi got killed thanks to freaking Tegan Tegan Knox. So. I think Tegan sold her up the river. I don't know. There you go. Um, but That's anyway, all I'm saying. It, it was smart to book coming out of last week um, for. Number one, they they shot the angle last week. Number two, Knox and Kai are still feuding. And then thirdly of all, Shotzi and Raquel actually worked a series of matches in Evolve, so they're familiar with each other. So that all made sense. And overall, I thought it was a solid opening match. Well, Shotzi Blackheart should have gone over, so I'm saying. That's all I'm saying about this little piece. That's all I'm saying. Well, Steve, I hate to tell you, she didn't because she's a loser. You want to take this outside? Yeah. We'll take us outside. I'll tell you. We'll take us outside to, after we after we stop filming this podcast. We'll take it outside. I'll, I'll tell you what, Steve. I'll go outside and I'll wait for you to try to drive your hunk of shit car here. Ah, oh, which means okay. you're never getting here. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> Why do you hate Shotzi? I don't hate her. I'm just saying she was the loser in this match. Did she not get pinned? Well, as is unfair. Uh, I think referee made a fast count. So I'm saying you, you should investigate it. Bryce Ramsberg was there making the fast count. So I saw. Uh, so this led to we got highlights of the sad Drake Maverick release video discussing his release. What and the that, fuck are we doing with this shit, by the way? Because they were trying to create a sympathetic character. If you'll let me fucking carry on. Well, you know, I mean, he already got fired. Why are we trying to create a sympathetic character? Somebody got fired. Okay, because here's the thing. If he wins the championship, they can't fire him. It's in the he's contract. He's not going to play a championship. We know that, but the story is he's trying to, Steve. Story is they're fucking assholes. <laughs> well, yeah, but anyway. He talked about how these matches could be the last of his WWE career, and he wants to give everything, and he wants to try to win the Cruiserweight Championship. That's not going to happen, probably. That's cute. J- that's J- cute. That's wonderful. Yeah. That, that, that's cute as a button. I'm not going to lie. I understand where to try and get it. It's like, oh, well, maybe if he wins these matches, he can win some people over. That's fucking cute. But, yeah, no. you got to be so negative, Steve. I'm sorry. I, yeah, why, I, why am I so negative against a company that fires somebody and makes them wrestle three extra matches after? Why are we so negative about that? I don't know. Well, I, I know what happened, and the comments section is going to let me know later. <laughs> Obviously, your Tony Khan direct deposit came in today. I wish it did. I wish it did. <laughs> I would be all about it. All about that Tony Khan direct deposit. Unlike that Jacksonville Jaguar cornerback who went to uh, call Tony Khan out on Twitter for no apparent reason. Who the hell knows what's going on with that? But anyway, who knows? Next match: Jake Atlas in the tournament uh, defeated Drake Maverick. Oh <clears> God! There's a shock. Six and a half <laughs> minutes uh, via pin. I thought they had a solid and focused little That's match fine. here. Yeah. And I thought that the uh, the finish was cool. Uh, Jake Atlas does this little cartwheel DDT gimmick off the road. So. A cool yeah. little finish. Fine. So Jake Foregone tr- conclusion, let's be honest. Yeah. He tried to congratulate Drake Maverick after the match. Drake Maverick oh, just sure. walked off. Oh. So. Why is Drake Maverick still working his matches? Because I guess he wants to, and he wants to try to keep a job. He doesn't have a job. He's hoping to get hired back, Steve. He's not going to. You don't know that. 
I don't know that, but I think that's uh, the. I think that there's a better chance he's not going to get hired back than he is. Well, I kind of highly doubt he gets hired back too. But I mean, hey, listen, he made a choice. He's going to do what he's going to do. I don't know. That's a problem with these wrestlers, you know. The, you know, that's why they can't form a union because these wrestlers are so far gone to the man. Fucking like scabs Drake, like Drake Maverick crossing the line. Goddamn right. You don't think he would be a scab to cross the line? He absolutely would. That's the issue. Because these guys are like, they're marks for the McMahons or whoever the fuck they're marks for. And they would just, you know, keep doing what they're doing. And they're not going to stand up for themselves. You know, that's what it is what it is. Well, they, they won't. That's ever why I don't, I'm not feeling this whole Drake Maverick, you know, oh, I'm going to feel sorry for this guy and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to hope he wins the matches because he's not going to win his matches. I'm sorry. I can't feel bad for the guy if he's going to play for the man. You know, it is what it is. All right. Sorry. No, it's I, fine. I feel, no, I'm, I'm not, know, I, feel I don't necessarily I feel, disagree with you. I don't think a lot of people are going to actually get into it either, but. They're, they try. I know he's trying to do because he's trying to be a scab. You know, <laughs> he's trying to be a scab and you know, point out that he's a man for business. You know, it's it's. I don't. I don't get it. I I I kind of get, it, but I don't get it because I am a man with testicles, so I wouldn't do it. There you go. You wouldn't. Did I just you... say that? I just said it. Yes, I did. You wouldn't piss yourself on pay per view. No, I wouldn't. Okay. I wouldn't. You know I wouldn't, Larry Zonka. You and I went to Japan. We, we worked the tours. We hit clotheslines. We would not piss our pants at the demand giant Baba or Misawa or anybody else. <laughs> you know? That's right. If you don't piss right? your pants at the slate of Bruiser Brody, you're okay in America. Yeah, if I uh, tell you what, if I saw Bruiser Brody run at me at this point in 2020, I would piss my pants. <laughs> Well, especially because he's dead. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> freaking the fuck out. Life, I would piss my pants, but uh, otherwise, no, I would not. <laughs> Fair enough. So yeah. we went. We it looked like we were to get the second part of the Keith Lee video package from last week, but Damian Priest took it over. Said yeah. he didn't care about Keith Lee's family or his journey. All he cares about is the North American Championship. Well, Says have. Lee's been giving chances only to the people he knew he could beat. He handpicked guys like Cameron Grimes and Dominic Dijakovic because he knew he could beat them. Uh, he said the triple threat wasn't your fault. It was Regal's but uh, because you knew he couldn't beat them and all this shit. So Priest basically says, um, I hit you hard. You felt my power. I'm the one who puts the limits on you. You call yourself the moment maker. But I have a moment for you, my first main event, and now I'm thinking of a bigger moment when I beat you and become the new North American champion. My name will live in infamy and all that shit. Okay. So setting fine. up setting up a title program. Yeah, that's fine. No problem with that. So that's all right. Got a we got good video package stuff. Uh, Tony Nese and Kushida setting up their uh, cruiserweight tournament match. Yes. Kushida ended up defeating Tony Nese at just over 11 minutes via submission. Thought they had a good match. I like Kushida a lot, obviously. Nice has been one of the more consistent 205 live guys for the past year. He pretty much always has good matches. And again, yeah, good match with good. good match with a good finish as uh, Kushida did the uh, Spanish fly gimmick into the hoverboard lock for the win. So It was good. Good match. Like good stuff. Solid, solid match from these guys. Yes, sir. So then we had the odd couple of Matt Riddle and Timothy Thatcher backstage. 
Oh, boy. Where Matt Riddle talked about loving his tea time, but that he also misses Stallion Pete. Thatcher says that he likes to make people tap while Riddle likes to knock people out. Riddle says Tim's green eyes remind him of Pete, but Thatcher informed him that his eyes are actually brown. But they're going to show the world next week how beautiful Tim is. It was really odd. As most promo segments of Matt Riddle are. Yeah, but a lot of them are like kind of humorous and like fun, and this one was just weird. I yeah I I've never really been a fan myself so yeah it's just it is what it is. May Thatcher will kill a guy at some point that'd be fine. There you go. Got a yeah. killer killer cross video package. Yeah, with him and uh, with his unnamed woman. Laughed my ass off on Raw when they were hyping NXT. They kept showing the end where Chiampa got attacked, and they're like, "Will we find out Wednesday who attacked him?" And I'm like. They fucking showed Killer Cross, and he said TikTok. Who the fuck else is it? It wasn't Killer or something Cross, right? It was a what? The, what's his name I now? Think it's gonna be like Carrion Cross or some shit. It's not gonna be Killer Carrion Cross. It's not, it's not gonna be Triple K, right? Like, like like when Jim Cornette tried to nickname Kenny King like Killer Kenny King in ROH. Yeah, it won't be that. I hope. Not that Jim Cornette would ever do anything racist, you know. I mean, we wouldn't ever accuse him of that, no. no absolutely no, not. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. So then we went off to the home of the Garganos, where Johnny, oh, yeah. Johnny talked about his fairy tale ending coming true when he married Candace, and there then another go. one coming true when he became the first ever Triple Crown winner in NXT. Yeah. Nobody believed he'd be the heart and soul of NXT or that he was better than Chiampa, but he is. Yeah. Candace uh, joined him with her new look, said that she believed in Johnny. Johnny says that uh, the real life fairy tale was believing that uh, being nice was the road to success. It's like, whatever. It's like his, his, He's his, not wrong. <laughs> his kindness was uh, taken advantage of. Chiampa was a dirtbag and got everything handed to him. He's yeah. sick of waving the NXT flag on top of the mountain of appreciation, while Candace also said that she was underappreciated. She's the big sister of the locker room who's put all the other women ahead of herself, there but she's no longer going to eat second, Steve. That's right. She, mommy's got to eat first. Is that what you're saying? That's right. So Johnny let her eat first. They said they can trust <laughs> each other, and their plan is to reign together as the women's and men's NXT champions. The first married couple to do so. They, the good guys, will win and get what they deserve. Sounds like a fine goal to me. There you go. I like it. Sounds sounds fine to me. I mean, we take a look at the men's champion, Adam Cole. An asshole, obviously. Jack Gargano beats him. We'd be a top eight days champion. And you know, you look at the top women's champion, Charlotte Flair. Asshole, too. So if Cass uh, beats her, you, know, you got two big face champions. I like it. Obviously. I like it. I like it. So speaking of uh, asshole Charlotte, we got an Io Shirai video package talking yeah, about why she wants to face Charlotte. And she basically said that she's going to destroy the castle where the queen lives because she bows down to no one. That sounds like a fine idea. That's right. Hope Io kicks shit out of her. It'd be nice. I, I don't like her chances, but unfortunately yeah. not. Um, yeah, she's gonna, same thing as Oscar. Got to get her ass. Yeah, she has to put over Charlotte. Oh, yeah. Lady Big but Dog. Oscar. Yeah, I mean Oscar. Poor Kyrie Sane getting killed by the <laughs> It is what it is. Yeah, whatever. 
So Drake Maverick was interviewed backstage. He was all upset, but admitted yeah, that Jake sure Atlas was Atlas was great. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he lost a match. He'd been surprised. That's right. He <laughs> said uh, everyone is fighting their opponent, but he's he's fighting his opponent and also himself. And then yeah, said okay. maybe people were right about him. So yeah, he's leaving. They probably were. I I I don't hate Drake Maverick. I'm just saying. It's like you know. I I get that you're not into it. I get it. Yeah, Drake's a good dude though. He's, yeah, I'm sure he's a funny hey, guy. At least he's trying to make something out of it. <sighs> Just stand up for yourself, man. That's all I'm saying. So, uh, next up, Mia Yim de- defeated Jesse Kamiya in about three minutes. A fine little win for Mia ahead of her match with Charlotte. Who Charlotte had to, had to of course, arrive after the match. And uh, talked about how she wanted that match with Mia since her first NXT match on TV was with Mia. Mia said it would be an honor, and then Charlotte thanks her for helping make her a star five years ago. You were a good hand then and helped make me a star, and hopefully I can return to favor next week. And I don't know about you, Steve. There was a little bit of stank on that backhanded compliment right there. Absolutely, absolutely. But uh, I was glad that uh, this uh, fe- this uh, lady that had been training for NXT since 2017 finally got a chance to in the ring on t- t- on television so we saw what she had to offer I think that's a good I think that's a good thing to do get these people out there see what they have to offer whether worth keeping around or not I like it there you go so you know there are some people in WWE when you ask to try to tell you that they think Charlotte's a baby face <laughs> who who, who says that? Stupid people within WWE. They think Charlotte is like a babyface hero. It's like, she's a fucking cunt lately. All she does is cut everybody down. She wasn't Which even a likable... Which is not a bad thing. No, I mean, no. She's, I mean, here's the thing. Just admit it, she's a heel. It's not a big yeah. deal. She's actually really good at it, especially when she's kind of doing the backhanded compliment bullshit. Goddamn right she is. That's the way she's especially... I mean, her, her father, Ric Flair was always at his best when he was a heel, you know? And he knew that as well, you know? He always wanted to be a heel. He didn't want to be a bay face because he knew he was better as a heel. Smart. That's right. So um, we got Chelsea Green in a bikini photo shoot in a pool. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, I saw that. You know I noticed that. Yes, sir. So business picked up there until Robert Stone started talking. He had yeah. to, he put over Chelsea as a megastar, calls her the face of the division. No one in the division, even Rhea Ripley, has her combination of beauty, brains, and skills. So what I took from this is Chelsea Green is a total snack, and Robert yeah. Stone and Chelsea Green are probably going to die at the hands of Rhea Ripley. Yeah, probably so. How, how do you think that uh, Zack Ryder felt, felt about all this? Well, he probably helped her pick out the bikini, dude, so... I'm just saying, I, mean, I don't know. Do you think Robert Stone is trying to sneak, sneak in on all that? What do you think? I think how do you think that's going? Who knows, dude? I'm, I think Chelsea... I'm just be. speculating. Uh, that's yeah. horrible, Steve. Why would well, you say that? I have nothing else to do here because... Uh, <laughs> what else can we say about this whole segment? Uh, she looks like a total <laughs> snack in her fucking bikini. She's gorgeous. That's uh, what you can uh, say. Sure, I could. I could say that. There you go. But uh, that would be uh, absolutely, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Tawdry! God damn it, we tawdry Larry Zonka. Well, listen, How dare okay. we? here's the thing. What do you want me to do? I can't comment on her. If It would be one thing if I was oogling her during a wrestling match like other people like to do. 
But the yeah. fact is, she wasn't in a wrestling match. She was in a right. bikini photo shoot at the pool. What am I supposed <laughs> to judge her on? Her hair well, looked good, you know. and she looked great in the bikini. Yeah. That was her purpose in the segment, why Robert Stone talked and I tried to ignore him. Why Robert? Why was Robert Stone there? So I'm asking. I don't know. Why is that? Why is this a thing that's happening? I have no clue, Steve. That's Triple H, your boy, Hunter. Why is that going on? So that led to another Cruiserweight <laughs> Championship tournament match. El Hijo del Fantasma debuting, yeah. facing off with Gentleman Jack Gallagher. Steve, what do you think about Jack Gallagher's that's new a array of tattoos? That's right there. Good Lord. Talk about a Styles Clash, these two guys. Like, Gentleman Jack Gallagher, a, uh, you know, a British wrestler, uh, some guy who knows all about technical wrestling aspects, a guy who, if you will, going against El Hijo del Fantasma, also known as King Cuerno, a Lucha Libre expert. Uh, you know, Styles clashing all over the place right here. It was a thing that happened. No, I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was pretty solid for the most part. And uh, the right man won at the end of the day. Yeah. I didn't even think about it as a styles class because the thing is, Jack Gallagher works really well with everybody. He always has good matches, and I wasn't even worried about that. So, yeah, I thought they had a good match. Thrilled that Phantasmus finally on NXT TV. I enjoyed this. I thought it had a good bit of physicality to it. And, uh, you know, like you said, the right man won. And just a good match. No complaints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, old Queen King Cuerno. I'm hoping that this guy shows up at some point wearing a uh, a loud shirt and a nice cowboy hat. Be pretty good. Yeah. There you go. Or what? What a big do- giant deer headdress. That'd be good. Some yeah. good stuff right there. Yes, sir. So set officially for next week: Charlotte versus Mia Yim and Damian Priest challenging Keith Lee for the North American uh, title. The fucking yeah. the Lucha Ninjas return, Steve. What? They, they tried to abduct El Hijo del Fantasma outside of the full sale. Apparently, Wait a apparently there's no fucking social, uh, there's no security during social distancing. And, you know, it's kind of funny because we all thought, at least, I don't know if we all thought this, but the rumor was that the El Hijo del Fantasma was behind the whole uh, Lucian Ninjas uh, abducting people. That's right, so... I'm going to proclaim his innocence now from all these horrible people and their fake news. Yeah, absolutely. He had nothing to do with it. And it was obviously um, GTV. Could be. Could be uh, the same folks that that abducted the Team Dragon Gate from uh, Western Society X, maybe. One of those guys, Kevin Kleinrock, might hook us up on that. He might know what's going on there. I don't know. Maybe it's that fucking hacker dude from SmackDown. It might be, Mr. He seems a little uh, yeah. untrustworthy. Absolutely. You mean Xavier Woods? I don't know who it is, Steve. Xavier Woods has been very uh, insistent that it's not him, which makes me think that's probably him. Can't believe you would accuse Xavier Woods, a wholesome gentleman, of doing something I like would, that. absolutely. Why wouldn't I accuse him of such a Horrible things? person, He's- Steve Cook. He is. I agree. No, you are. No, he is. <laughs> Consequences I, Creed would not lie to us. I think he would. Yeah, to be honest with you, it's all saying, Yeah, um, I don't know. It's just it's things are being thrown out there. I don't so, know. So then we got this main event, Steve. Yes, we it's did. supposed to be Velveteen Dream and Keith Lee versus Adam Cole and Roderick Strong. How'd that go? 
Well, the Undisputed Era attacked. They brawled. Damian Priest arrived and beat the shit out of Keith Lee with a nightstick, and he was unable to continue. A nightstick? Yeah. What is he, the big fucking boss man? I guess. So they continued on. <laughs> Velveteen Dream fought by himself for a while. And then of all fucking people, Dexter Loomis arrived. What? Yes, the creepy dude that was watching like the match the other week. Dexter Loomis arrives, hops up on the apron, and he wants the tag. So Velveteen Dream fights back. He tags in Dexter Loomis. The creepy little bastard runs wild for a while. He takes out the Undisputed Era guys on the floor, allowing Velveteen Dream to pin Adam Cole with the Purple Rainmaker elbow in a little under 10 minutes. And... Okay. First of all... Yeah, let's, uh, uh, let's unpack well, yeah, this. Let's yeah. unpack this a little bit. Yeah. It was okay, but my biggest problem with it was it felt completely unfocused because they were serving way too many masters. They tried to advance Lee and Priest, Cole and Dream, and then they're apparently trying to make Dexter Loomis into a player out of nowhere. Yeah. So, also, the other thing that really got to me was... I sincerely think, and I've talked about this before, Steve, and I don't think anybody's going to change my mind, continuing with the Velveteen Dream push towards the title right now is a mistake. His act completely lacks without any crowd interaction. His yep. work has been horribly exposed in the empty arena setting. Yep. And it's just not clicking for me. I don't understand why you would take a dude that is so re- who, whose gimmick is so built off of the crowd and push him to the title during a no crowd era. It makes no sense to me. I think they're just continuing to expose him right now. And I guess Dexter Loomis of all people is going to get some, <laughs> some kind of chance, but I'm way from sold on the guy. Cause I, I've seen a ton of him and we've seen a lot of him. He's not good. Does yeah. nothing for me, Steve. So what'd you think of this main event? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you, and uh, and the whole the whole Velveteen Dream thing, and you, you've seen a lot more of the Velveteen Dream than I have. You know, you've watched a lot more XT than I have. You've watched that guy being built up to being a god, to being a player, if you will. And from what I've seen, from the things I've seen uh, during this run, this guy is just, he's not ready for it. I'm sorry. I apologize to all you guys that think, oh, the Velveteen Dream's the next guy coming. The Velveteen Dream's the next Shawn Michaels or whatever the fuck you want to think he is. No, I just don't see it. I'm sorry. He's just not there yet. He might get there at some point, but he's not there right now. Yeah, and that's and, the thing, too. I, I keep hammering home. I'm criticizing him, sure, but he's still young. There is a lot of time. But the yep. fact that some people think Velveteen Dream is flat-out great right now is kind of wrong. He's not. He's had great matches, but the thing is, if you're really paying attention during this era, first of all, when he came back from the injury, he wasn't looking that great. Yeah. And now he's in these empty arena settings, and the, the thing about the empty arena setting is it is really showing you guys that are better workers than you might have <laughs> thought, and it's also exposing the ones that aren't as good as you thought. And I told you when they started this whole program with the Velveteen Dream in the Undisputed Era, 
Well, with him and Roderick Strong, they're working the whole Rick Rude, Jake Roberts gimmick. And people hear, like, oh, well, he's wearing tights that show the, you know, Roderick Strong's wife. Oh, that'll give her his baby face. No, it didn't. No. Everybody who's watching that stuff thought he's a fucking asshole. Am I wrong? Am I right? Am I wrong? I think you're right, yeah. They used to look like a fucking asshole. <laughs> Why would he root for this guy? He's wearing this. This uh, he's wearing these tights with this guy's wife on him. Why would he? Why would he root for that? We want nobody with a right mind would. I mean, maybe you assholes who you know you like that kind of thing. I just nobody actually did that. Is I just don't see how it worked for anybody. And from what I've seen so far, yeah, I mean, I just don't see this guy as a top-notch babyface, as may some people do. I, I mean, may some people see it. I don't see it. And, yeah, it's not working. As far as this match goes tonight, yeah. you try to mix Dexter Loomis into this mess, uh, that guy, good God. What are we doing? What is it? What are we doing? I felt like NXT... What are we doing? I felt what? like shut up a minute. Okay. I felt like NXT <laughs> was making an effort to make me want to turn off the show at the end between yeah. having Velveteen Dream wrestle in an empty arena and then adding Dexter Loomis in. <laughs> Listen, Roderick Strong is fucking amazing, but he ain't yeah. that good. You don't have to tell me that Roderick Strong is a good wrestler. <laughs> He's been pretty good for a couple of years now, yeah. Uh, but yeah. You can't say this shit. <laughs> He can't save this shit where you're trying to book Velveteen Dream as a fucking baby face and Dexter Lewis, this Dexter Loomis guy. Anytime Dexter Loomis comes on, I change the channel. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I know you liked his feud with uh, Ken Anderson and Christy Hemi. Oh shit! <laughs> you fucking lie to the people. Yeah, that's a lie. I know, yeah, nobody liked that. <laughs> nobody in the role liked that. But that's what they're doing with Cell now. We got Drexler Loomis. He's going to be a top-notch star. Yeah, people keep who telling fucking... me he's going to be a star, and I'm like, I don't know what you're watching. Who, who says Who says I that? I keep seeing it online and in comment section, Steve. Give me a I name. I don't know. They're Steve fucking anonymous talking heads. I don't know who the Did fuck Jeremy they Jeremy Lambert tell you Drexler no. Loomis is going to be a star? Jeremy Lambert or Dustin James or no, Todd Burke? Fuck, I don't think Dustin watches this shit, dude. No, he doesn't. So, but yeah, I'm just, I don't know, dude. I mean, I, listen, I'm like, it's cool if you like Dexter Loomis, but have a little perspective. No, it's not. It's and, really not cool. It's really not cool. No, I don't No, it is, Steve. It's fine because if people want to like somebody, that's fine. But I think you have to have a little perspective about it. It's like, I don't know why anybody is thinking he's going to be like great all of a sudden. He's a dude. He's doing the same shit he was doing in TNA still. Yeah. But, you know, it's funny because people thought TNA was awful. And they, you know, like we wouldn't watch anything that TNA does. But, you know, once NXT does some TNA stuff, it's like, oh, yeah, we're on board. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, buddy. So, well, Steve, that's going to break us down to the the show-by-show show comparison for the night. Would you like to go first? I'll go, I'll go ahead and go first. I thought, it, I thought that NXT had some stuff going on. I thought they had some... Solid cruiserweight matches, and I thought they had Dexter Loomis doing some stuff in main events. But at the end of the day, I think AEW carried stuff. I thought I liked their opening match better. I thought they had some solid matches going throughout. And I feel bad for Dustin Rhodes because he's getting killed next week. But at the end of the day, you know, you got you got a lot of solid matches. You got Tony Schiavone, Chris Jericho talking. 
I gotta give the edge to AEW Dynamite. Fair enough. Yeah, I thought AEW is definitely better than last week's show because we didn't have the bad main event. Yeah. I thought the show was just really enjoyable overall. Uh, Tony and Chris Jericho are so much fun on commentary. They're, I think I think overall they're doing a good job of with the video packages. They're giving the right people wins overall. They're building weekly nicely. The tournament, I think, is going really well. So I thought Dynamite was a good show tonight. NXT... Um, I thought it was an enjoyable show overall. I thought it was about on par with last week. Um, the focus on the Cruiserweight tournament is appreciated. I think they're positioning a lot of people in the right spots with some good video packages like the Gargano and um, Candice LeRae one. Um, and again, like last week, I think the show is doing a better job of being a simpler show with a more focused layout where they used to thrive. Um, overall, I liked AEW a smidge more than NXT this week. Um, but yeah, I thought both shows, uh, there's a lot of really good elements in both shows, a lot of really good video packages. I think the tournaments are helping both shows right now. Cause it's a, for lack of a better word, as long as you book it smartly, it can be a smart time kill. Yep. But you're also getting a lot of things done with it. So I appreciate that. But yeah, I'm going to go AEW this week. Um, after NXT picked up a couple wins there with us and, um, we'll see yeah. what happens. I think more NXT stuff kind of pisses me off. To be honest with you, yeah. you know, with the with the whole oh, let's push Dexter Loomis as a top guy. I'll see how that guy. That'll be pretty good. And you know, also with the Drake Maverick stuff, you know, it's like oh well, you know, you know, yeah, we already talked about Drake Maverick earlier. You know how I feel about that. This is, I know he wants to do it, but it's just I don't know. Kind of pisses me off. He's a scab. There you go. I call it. He's a scam. That's the way he is. If they ever have a strike, he'll cross a picket line. That's all I'm saying. Fair enough. So before we go, Steve, I want to let everybody know this weekend, uh, probably be posted Sunday, this weekend's podcast will include a retro look with Kevin Pantoja back at Ultima Lucha 1. Woo! Going into some Lucha Underground yes. from there. And oh, uh, the nice. the second half of that show will be the dark side of the ring on Dino Bravo. So that oh. will be Sunday's show. That poor bastard. And uh, I do want to thank everybody that's been supportive of the, uh, the extra retro stuff. Again, we've been trying just to give you guys something fun to listen to. Uh, just kind of breaking into the bank of uh, a lot of cool stuff that we've liked. Or in the case of that uncensored show with Kevin that is just really bad but needs to be talked about. <laughs> And uh, But yeah, we're having a good time. You guys have been awesome and supportive. And uh, Steve and I are going to wrap up for the night now. But if you hang on for a couple seconds, Jerome Cusson will join me. And we will be talking Dark Side of the Ring, Jimmy Snuka, and the death of Nancy Argentino. Alright, welcome back to the final segment of the show. It is time to talk Dark Side of the Ring, which means Jerome Cusson is joining me once again. Jerome, how are you today, my friend? Uh, I am doing all right, and uh, I am I am very excited to talk about only the fourth worst thing to happen to Vince McMahon this week, which is pretty remarkable. He covered up a murder, Larry, and it's the fourth worst thing he's ever done this week. Yeah, Vince is uh, – we're recording here on the 16th, by the way, so everybody should know that Vince McMahon coming off of a banner week here, <laughs> the XFL bankruptcy – 
alleged bribery in Florida to become an essential business, the re the mass releases of talents to cut costs and make the financials uh, look good the following week. It's a uh, and then yeah, involved in this uh, documentary, third hand obviously because obviously he's not going to comment and um of allegedly covering up a murder and it's yeah fucking banner week in the life of Vince McMahon that is for sure. Well, you know, it's one of those things where I, I talked earlier this week about Vince McMahon essentially being the same person as Donald Trump. And if you look at almost everything he's done this week, I mean, it follows a lot of the same a lot of the same patterns. And the other thing that I said is that the first line of Vince McMahon's obituary is going to be um, continuing over the edge 1999 after Owen Hart died. And. We're going to talk about that later on this year. In a few weeks, we're going to be discussing that incident, and that's going to bring up a whole bunch of shit as well uh, in about six weeks or so. I don't know. This uh, should probably be number two or three. I mean, that XFL bankruptcy is pretty bad, but I mean, this is just this is a really horrible situation. And I don't want to take away from the fact that Jimmy Snuka, Snuka is also uh, kind of a monster for what he did. But, I mean, Vince McMahon's role, even though he's not in this documentary, his presence and the overall presence of the World Wrestling Federation at the time just looms over this documentary, even though there was no direct participation. It, it really, really does. Um, so, again, this is Dark Side of the Ring. Jimmy Snuka and the death of Nancy Argentino, which was his girlfriend at the time. The show starts off, obviously, putting over Jimmy Snuka as a wrestler, transitions into the talk of him meeting Nancy Argentino, uh, her death, and the quote-unquote alleged involvement of Jimmy Snuka, which he was never officially charged for at the time, but 30 years later, new evidence had surged, surfaced, and that was kind of the set up for the beginning of everything here. So they start talking... We have the early 80s here. Snuka is signed by the WWF, uh, along with many others during the time as Vince was purging the scene and taking all the stars. It talks about how he got over quickly, and we get uh, comments from the Tonga Kid, real name Sam Fatu, talking about getting into wrestling through his uncles after a rough youth and how Jimmy Snuka protected him in the business drum. Yeah, that's... I. With a documentary like this and with that 45-minute format, it it definitely restricts what you can say about Jimmy Snuka because you are essentially kind of boiling down his career into kind of a five-minute almost exhibition. You see a lot of the clips that you've seen in every WWE documentary that they've done in recent years. You see uh, the leap from the cage and all that stuff, and you hear people putting him over as one of their top stars. And so you really don't get a real sense of who he is as a person, which was something that I was really thinking about as I was watching this, because I think the biggest complaint that I have about this documentary is there was a lot of talk about Jimmy Snuka's behavior directly towards Nancy and the fact that this was kind of an illicit affair and some of the things that he said and did, but we don't really hear about Jimmy Snuka as a person otherwise. And 
it, it felt strange to me because the thing that I know, the thing that I noticed about with the Chris Benoit documentary is that we got a lot of sense of who this person was. And I, and I know that, the, that they certainly had a lot more time to do that, but even in some of the prior documentaries, when they have talked about different wrestlers, they've been able to talk about them more as people. And it, it really felt like this, this definitely needed a lot more time because there were times when they were trying to talk about Jimmy Snuka, but they were also trying to talk about who Nancy Argentino was as a person, because something they say towards the end is that, you know, they don't want to reduce her to just being a victim. And I totally understand that. I'm very sympathetic to that. And that's not something that I want to see either. But it, it really just felt like there was something missing uh, from this entire presentation. And I think especially when you go back to the beginning, the lack of just understanding kind of who Jimmy was as a person is definitely something that struck me. I agree, and they got very lightly into a small smidge of looking into, I guess, what he was early as Don Morocco kind of snuck his greatest rival joins us on this documentary, and he he talks about how he felt Snooker could have been as big as Hogan if he could have kept it together, talked about their relationship, how they were close, uh, spent a lot of time in Hawaii together, and how... Snooker was very nomadic and that wrestling was the thing that kind of actually gave him a sense of family. But then again, to your point, we don't get a lot of exposition on that from anybody else. It's like, it's a very quick 45 seconds, one minute clip with Morocco talking about this. So it's like, okay, Jimmy Snook is a dude. He's kind of not attached to anybody. He's homeless a little bit, moves around a lot. Gets into wrestling, and then he becomes really famous as a big attraction. Uh, that leads to author Irv Munchnik joining us. Talks about his obsession overall with uh, covering wrestling and with Snuka. How Snuka became such a big babyface during this time when he was a heel. And that they had to turn him babyface because of his popularity and he was drawing a lot of money. They uh, talk about how Jimmy Snuka partied a lot. And then we start getting into Nancy Argentino as her sister discusses Nancy dating Jimmy Snuka. Um, Nancy was very popular, innocent, and led a sheltered life until she started attending wrestling with her friend who was dating Johnny Rods at the time. That's how Argentino met Snuka. It got serious rather quickly. Uh, and her sister says that Snooker was very odd and isolated. And Nancy Argentino took care of him on the road because Buddy Rogers, who was his manager, basically wanted to fuck out. Because Jimmy Snooker, obviously, as we all know, had drug issues and was doing way too much cocaine. So Nancy essentially became his handler. And uh, her family was very unsure of Jimmy Snooker early on, Jerome. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a really strange situation because obviously Jimmy Snooker cannot talk for himself. He has since passed on. But we just, again, this, this documentary, just this the, the way it's presented, it's really hard to get a sense of who this person is. I mean, they talk about the partying, but Larry Zonka, I'm here to tell you, there was a lot of partying going on in professional wrestling in the 1980s. What? If you, 
if you think Jimmy Snuka was the worst defender when it came to partying, then I've got some news for you. I mean, the Four Horsemen would – I mean, just go to any Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, Tully Blanchard shoot interview. I mean, their their parties just sounded absolutely insane. So you talk about that party lifestyle, and admittedly – it's probably not good for anyone's health that they were doing all of that partying. It certainly has probably caused health issues and all that stuff. But not everybody did with Jimmy Snuka either. There's something – There's again, there's just something there. I don't know whether it is some sort of undocumented mental illness of some sort because that that's one of the impressions that I got from this is that there is either some sort of mental illness – or that he had some sort of IQ deficiency of some sort, or that that was perhaps exacerbated by the drugs that he was doing. And you don't know if there were steroid use. They, they never say that. But it's, again, WWF in the 1980s, that is certainly a grand possibility. So that, those are some of the things that were going through in my mind, is that there, there had to be something else, because it otherwise doesn't make sense. Yeah, and... I guess just to back up your point, that's that's kind of where this one fails at in terms of not getting j- deeper into Snuka, into his personality, learning more about him, who exactly he was, and then the time format overall on the show is a big part of that probably. But this, you know, early on in this episode... I guess rushed may be the right phrase to use, but it felt rushed to me. It's like, it's like bing, bang, but it was like, we're going from point to point to point. And it's not that they're covering the points poorly, but again, um, you made a comparison to the Benoit documentary and they do a great job in that extended time frame of, giving you those deep backgrounds on uh, Nancy Benoit and then giving you the deep background stuff on Chris Benoit because I I think obviously in the end of that one, you know, Chris Benoit is a bastard that murdered his wife and son and then killed himself. But I also think that they were trying to do a job of portraying him for what he was until that happened. Because until that happened, he was beloved by fans. He was highly respected by all of his friends. And there's something to giving that fair play. And I think they did a good job. And I think one of the most important points you brought up when we covered that show, um, obviously available if you look back on the archives here, is the fact that they wanted to make sure that Nancy Benoit was not just a victim, that she was an important figure in his life, in wrestling, and as a person. Um, unfortunately, in this one, they kind of don't get to do that as much with Nancy Argentino. and They, they don't get into Snook as much as I would have liked. He's just, he's kind of the wild, crazy man that makes a lot of money for Vince McMahon. Well, and I think that one of the other things that I want to point out is that they talk to a lot of people. There are a lot of people that are featured in this documentary. You have Sam Fatu, as was mentioned. You have members of the Argentino family. You also have three different wrestling journalists. And I, I think 
they they all had some direct impact on this story, but it it also felt like there were at times too many people trying to get different points across. And I almost wish that they had limited the amount of journalists in particular to maybe one or two, because again, in, in a 45 minute time period, it's, it's really hard to get everyone's ideas across. Uh, the one person that I wanted to know more about was the local police officer, uh, the police chief at the time, the, the Barney Fife of Allentown, Pennsylvania. Oh, Jesus Christ. Thank you, yes, dude. Um, now, I am too young even for the Andy Griffith show, but just know that when I say Barney Five, I mean an, an utterly incompetent police officer who I, I definitely want to talk more about. But Oh, we will. <laughs> but that's that's what I wanted to say. It, it that at times it felt like there was some redundancy, and I would have almost preferred if they had narrowed the scope just a little bit to having maybe four to five people talking instead of seven to eight. <sighs> yeah, I. Uh, so. The... <sighs> I'm sorry, I lost my uh, page here. Okay. So, to kind of dig back into this here, Nancy's sister starts discussing about how she starts seeing cracks in the relationship. Talks about how Jimmy Snuka did not like her. She came home one time, Nancy and Jimmy were eating uh, a meal. And she sat down to join them, and he didn't like her, apparently, like she said. He put his hands in the air like he was going to put them around her throat, and apparently told her, I could. Which, that sounds rather fucking menacing. Yes, I'm sure he's not a murderer. So she wanted Nancy to drop him, but Nancy defended Snuka. Snuka apologized by handing her cocaine drum. Which is a perfectly normal reaction to have. And the one thing I will say is that if you look at, at the pattern of abusive relationships, Nancy Argentino's behavior is not all that unusual. No, no, not at all. So what we learn going forward from this point is that Argentino goes on the road, road full-time with Snuka. Snuka was very protective of her. And... um. Morocco says that he didn't think Argentina liked him very much because he was feuding with uh, Snuka and she, he didn't think she understood. Nancy's sister reveals that while her sister was dating Jimmy Snuka, they found out he was still married and living with his wife. So since he was on the road so often, he was basically living two lives. And I think one of the things the documentary does not do a good job of is they talk to one of his widows, and I don't believe that it's the same person that Jimmy Snooker was married to in 1983. Is that correct? I, I don't think so, yeah. So yeah, that, it, was, it, was, it was just weird to have Jimmy Snooker's widow, and I understand that they're trying to kind of have another person who was pro Snooker, but she really didn't add a lot to the proceedings except to kind of counter contradict a lot of what they were saying and even Don Morocco like Don Morocco yeah yes he had this really important feud and that moment in the cage but he really didn't bring a lot of he didn't bring any other insight other than talking about the cage and even that's something again that we've seen and heard a bajillion times at this point yeah I didn't think he offered much but at least he wasn't an idiot like the police officer because we're going to get to that soon Oh, what a, what a man. What a mighty good man. 
1983, the couple start having domestic issues, as Nancy's sister recounts. A early, early, like 2 a.m. call for help from Nancy, where Snooka claim, or Nancy claims Snooka was chasing her. Police ended up responding to this. Uh, Snooka is seen dragging Nancy Argentina around by her hair. And during this, as they're trying to subdue Snooka, he manhandles the police, fights off the dogs in what they detail is a superhuman effort. And then Nancy ends up playing it off as a misunderstanding. Um, as you said, um, very much acting like a domestic abuse um, victim because she helps him avoid jail time by claiming it was a misunderstanding and that he had never assaulted her, which leads to Snooker pleading guilty to a lower charge of harassment, donating $1,500 to, I believe, like the Ronald McDonald house. And the couple just goes back on the road as business as usual. Yeah, just bizarre. And I'm sure the fact that it's the 80s and I think we would just be, we are so much more aware of these kinds of situations. Not to say that it wouldn't happen in 2020, but I think our level of awareness is just so much bigger for things like this that it would be really hard for someone to get away with this. Yeah, it's ah, oh God, it, it. You're right, and the sad thing is, is like, I, I, I just you look back, and it's like, he's allegedly. He, I mean, they said he's dragging her around by the hair, and then he beats the shit out of the cops and the police dogs, and they can only get him on a minor battery charge when they said in the police report the cops saw him dragging her around by the hair. And then he assaulted the police officers, and, like, that's all that happens. Like, I yeah. get it. He was, you know, quote-unquote, a star, and it was the 80s, but fuck's sake, man. Well, I think that this document, and there have been a lot of documentaries that we've seen over the last few years, and one of the consistent messages that you get from a lot of true crime documentaries is you get this a lot from small-town police, is that you get a, a general sense of incompetence and that's not to say big city police are always the best either but i think that what happens is that these small town police have small attitudes and that certain people are able to get away with things because they're famous because the wwf is always in allentown and they are quote unquote a major contributor to allentown's economy then the wwf is probably going to be able to get away with things that they otherwise would not be able to get to get away with. And I'm sure that this is just the tip of the iceberg. And this is something truly terrible that happened, but I'm sure that I'm sure guys got away with a lot of stuff back in this time, drugs, other worse things that I don't even want to mention. So I, I, none of this was a surprise to me because again, this is something that you see all the time with with small town police and the way that they conduct their business and the way that they will treat people and they will have certain biases, perhaps against certain people or certain individuals, perhaps even against uh, certain races and creeds. So uh, this is not something that I was altogether surprised by. So that serves as a good segue as we start talking about that night in Allentown. As you said, Allentown was big for the WWF as a town they regularly taped in. Allentown obviously loved all the uh, traffic and money coming through. 
So that night, Phil, Snooker Films TV comes back at 9 p.m. There's a disturbance outside, and an ambulance is called, and the police were called. Paramedics arrive. They find Nancy in the bed. Snooker initially claims that they wrestled around too hard, and Nancy hit her head. And then he came back, and because he had left and came back, she was lethargic. And he left again and came back, and she was struggling to breathe, and then she was then taken to the hospital. And then it's, you know, Snook again, he claims she hit her head. Uh, Nancy's sister gets the call from the hospital. They're informed of Nancy's death. Snooka keeps claiming it's an accident, and the family is shocked. They have to inform all their friends. The police question Snooka. And this is where he starts giving conflicting reports. Because he initially says he thought they wrestled too hard and she hit her head. And now this goes to the story which a lot of people may know of. They were driving in a car. Nancy had to go to the bathroom so they pulled over. And after she was done going to the bathroom on the side of the road she tripped and hit her head. That is what the story becomes. So Don Morocco... Calls Vince McMahon. The police obviously release Jimmy Snuka. Buddy Rogers and Jimmy Snuka go to Nancy's funeral. And this is not received well by the family. They think Jimmy Snuka is acting oddly. And the mortician mentions that there were bruises around her throat and multiple lacerations. And the fact that Jerome... He suspected foul play, and so did the family. Wouldn't a coroner's report or something like that be included as evidence? I mean, one would think so, unless a bunch of green paper fell on top of it that got rid of it. I mean, I we say that in jest, of course, I mean, but I, I, you're, you're probably accurate in, in that assessment, because... Clearly, something else happened. I mean, bruises don't just appear. And we know that Jimmy Snuka is not an accurate storyteller. The story changed many times. And we also, again, know that he has some mental issues. I can't classify what those are, whether it's related to drugs or whether it's related to some sort of illness. But clearly, he is is not a reliable narrator. And it's just awful. Uh, for the family to have to go through something like this, I mean, it it this is the kind of thing that when a mother loses her daughter, this is this is something that will tear you apart inside. I mean, no parent should ever have to bury their child. I mean, I can't imagine what that what that has to be like, and and especially somebody who was twenty three years old at this time, and it it really sucks for the family because not only is she dead, but you also have her alleged murderer potentially not only being out there, but being on television every week. And when you get sort of into the mid eighties and the WWF is really taking off, I mean, Jimmy Snuka is a prominent part of their programming for years to come. And I can't imagine what that's got to be like, especially because WWF really crossed over into mainstream into the mainstream around this time and I mean, I can't imagine what that has to have been like to 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 have that going on and to to see this person just doing his wrestling thing like always, like nothing was wrong. And that's exactly what happened is that he went back to do his wrestling thing. He went back on the road. 
He continued feuding with uh, Don Morocco. They made a shit ton of money. Had the famous cage dive. And Jimmy Snooker's widow talks about how people would be calling him a murderer at shows and shit like that. And he always defended himself to her. And the thing is, his career kept growing during this point. But the police were still investigating. And this is when the fucking uh, former police chief Barnold fucking Fife Jr. the third joins the show. This I, this fucking guy. I don't know what he was sitting down. I don't know what was he. What did he think he was sitting down for? Because it's clear he did not think he was signing up for this documentary. Because he comes off like the dumbest person that has ever been in one of these. And there are times that certain people on these docu-series... So you take something like Tiger King, for example, which is on Netflix, and I'm convinced that a lot of the time these people are playing characters on a reality television show, that they are not, in fact, as stupid as this. Oh, they're working, brother. They are working. In this case, I am convinced that this person, this Barney Fife motherfucker is legitimately stupid and has no idea what's going on. I don't think this is a character. I don't think this is an act. And the fact, like, his commentary in this documentary alone should allow the Argentino family to be able to sue him for negligence. And for good cause, because this dude starts talking about the case. And he admits that... They never looked for where Nancy Argentino allegedly suffered her roadside injury because he didn't think it was relevant. What? The guy alleged of possibly killing his girlfriend says that she suffered a roadside injury. Wouldn't you want to try to go and verify that? I don't know. That's I mean, I've watched a lot of Law and Order over my days, Jerome. I don't know about you, but I'm just saying that seems like a police academy level bullshit. And yes, I'm talking about the lovely comedy movies. I think Mahoney would even be all over this bullshit. I mean, it's absolutely remarkable. I mean, again, this is just the kind of thing that is probably this is probably shit that happens in small towns like this all over the place. That's the part that really scares and disturbs me is that if you think that this is the only person that this happened to, or this is the only case, I I would probably be willing to bet that this happens all the time and probably still happens because this is the reality of living in a small town. Everybody knows everybody and nobody knows anything. I mean, that's, that's the reality of, of this, of the situation. And, you know, people leave small towns and who really stays in these small towns. And admittedly, Allentown was probably doing better off in the 1980s than it is now, but it's, it's really, really disturbing. So we then discover from the family that Vince McMahon kept calling them to quote unquote, check on them. And his checking calls were reportedly him offering them upwards of $25,000 to make sure they were quote-unquote okay. That doesn't seem shady at all. They file a wrongful death lawsuit, and I'm using air quotes, winning $500,000 in default judgment because Snooker never showed up. 
Snooker never pays his lawyers, and the family ended up never collecting any money from this lawsuit. Yeah, I mean, this is what happens. This is how people are able to get away with shit like this. Filing for bankruptcy is apparently just a way to get away from all of your debt, as Donald Trump and Vincent Kennedy McMahon Jr. have both proven to us many times. And recently at that. Yeah, I mean, we're not talking about years ago. We're just talking about in the last week or so. So basically at this point, the family decides to kind of give up and they want to move on. Because it's just, obviously, they, there's only so much you can deal with. It. You can't try to deal with it every goddamn day. And they're just, they're broken down, they're tired, they're emotionally drained over all this. And at this point, Snooka's drug issues become too much, finally. He starts to decline in the ring. His career starts going into a downward spiral. Leaves the WWF, he goes to the AWA. And he he's largely a non-factor outside of a couple cameo appearances for a very, very long time. I like that Don Morocco said that he retired in 1988, and there is ample evidence to suggest that he was in ECW in the 1990s, as was Jimmy Snuka. Yeah, you, you think that they would have, like... I would have loved for them to put a little crawler... Don, even though Don Morocco claimed he retired, he wrestled for Extreme Championship Wrestling, and you know, <laughs> Don Morocco is full of shit, by the way. Well, I, for one, Larry, I'm here to tell you that I'm stunned that a wrestler would lie in an interview. I can't think of another time that this has ever happened. Well, you know what they say about a wrestler if his lips are moving, they're working, brother. Yeah, I mean, I think Bart Gunn is the only person. Bart Gunn has been the most trustworthy person, uh, wrestler, most trustworthy wrestler that I've heard from these first four episodes. Yeah. So in 2011, the case kind of comes, starts coming to life again. And then in 2013, it's revisited as, uh, the local paper looks into it for the 30th anniversary of the murder or the death. Sorry. Um, they could not get the autopsy files. Um, but as they were able to get the lawsuit papers, they were in there. Uh, they were unsealed, so they had access to the autopsy, which says that Nancy Argentina's injuries were deliberate head trauma, not from a fall, likely from abuse. And the coroner says it should have been investigated as a homicide and also noted that there was no dirt found on her body or in the wounds from a roadside injury. Barney Fife Jr. the third fucking returns. And this dude just continues to come off badly. Well, I don't know why we would investigate it as a homicide. It didn't make any sense. And uh, why would there be dirt? I mean, by the time she got to the hospital from the ambulance, I mean, I'm sure it would have been gone. You were a chief of fucking police and you know absolutely fuck all about forensics. Dirt just doesn't fucking disappear. I mean, how much worse can this guy come off? I mean, it's 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 utterly, utterly remarkable that this guy was allowed to be a chief of police. Did they say how long he was chief of police for? I don't know, but it was obviously too long. <laughs> I mean, even one day is just too long. But, I mean, 
And the thing that I couldn't help but think about as I was listening to him pontificate and what a pontification this was, but like, what about other cases? Like if there were other crimes that were happening, like if other things were going on, like what, like what other cases did he screw up? What other lives did this man ruin? It's insane to think about. And it's quite honestly scary because I wouldn't let this dude take my trash out. I mean, Jesus Christ, man. I just, I don't know. But it's every time I, you know, I, I watched it like in passing, like on Wednesday. And then I sat down Thursday morning to take all my notes. And this guy just got worse each time I heard him. So we're in 2013. They're revisiting this stuff locally in Allentown. And this is when Jimmy Snooker's book comes out. And in the book, he comments on Nancy's death. He does interviews about it. And we find out that during the initial investigation, there were no transcripts of his interviews with the police. Just notes that he spoke with them, which doesn't seem shady at all. They talk about how uh, Vince McMahon protected Jimmy Snuka, how Snuka implicitly trusted Vince McMahon and would basically sign anything that Vince told him to sign, contracts and everything. And That this, was really cringy, by the way. Just yeah. to know that he was doing that, not good. And this is when the famed story of Vince McMahon, quote-unquote, allegedly arriving at the police station with a briefcase, and the investigation basically ends. And I'm not saying there was payola going on there, but make your own assumptions. I think it was Bix that talked about the idea of the the briefcase was full going in and empty coming out or something like that. Um, But... I mean, this is small town corruption at at its best slash worst. And should we really be surprised by Vince McMahon is going to do everything he can to protect himself and the WWE, WWF. That's, that's all that he has ever been interested in. The wrestlers are merely pawns in his game. And the only reason that he was protecting Jimmy Snuka at this point is because he was one of his top stars and could make him a lot of money. I mean, you see how much Vince McMahon cared for him when he was doing drugs and he was no longer with the company. Did Vince McMahon ever pay for any of his rehab? I mean... I know that's something that he does now, but he even he's done that kicking and screaming because of all the lawsuits and they're a publicly traded company now and all the Chris Benoit criticism. I mean, that's why they do it now. But was he doing that in the 1980s? Was How was he helping Jimmy Snuka when Jimmy Snuka really needed the help? And again, regardless of whether – because it's pretty obvious that he had directly had something – to do with Nancy Argentino's death. And I don't want to take away from that. And yeah, he should absolutely have been put in jail for that. But given the context of everything and knowing that he was quote unquote, not guilty or whatever, like you, I think you have to come under the assumption that, that he had a lot of issues and Vincent Mann did not really care. 
that is that is who Vince McMahon has always been. Vince McMahon has shown you the type of person that he is over and over and over again. And there are people that are still in denial about this. And anybody who ever says that Vince McMahon is a good person or from wrestlers to fans, all they're doing is telling them they're telling themselves or they're kidding themselves. The worst part is, is Vince is still protecting Jimmy Snuka in a way because he keeps fucking Tamina employed. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into all that <laughs> because, I mean, you you certainly cannot blame the offspring for anything that the father may have done, and yeah, I mean, I don't know, I I don't I don't want to see anybody get fired right now because of the pandemic, but it's 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 bizarre. Like, I don't want to say some people should be fired over other people, but when I look at the roster, and I'm gonna cut a woman. My first choice is not to cut Sarah Logan. No offense to Tamina Snuka. I look at 40-plus-year-old Tamina Snuka, who looks like a soccer mom these days, who has had surgically reconstructed knees and shoulders and shit over the past, like, eight years, who has never really been good. And I think, yeah, maybe we should cut her, because, no offense, she is older, she's not that good, and Jesus Christ, she's one bad super kick away from tearing another knee out. But like you said, yeah, I mean, I don't blame her for what her father did, but Jesus, God, why am I still watching her in 2020? So, I mean, if you really if you really want to save money, you release Brock Lesnar, and that alleviates you of $10 million right there. That's what you do. Well, that'd be lovely. So Chief Wiggum returns here and talks about how there were no transcripts of the conversations, and he didn't see why there needed to be, and doesn't even remember the Vince McMahon thing. Right. Sure is. I think you're being too kind. Uh, Chief Wiggum, I think Chief Wiggum solved the 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 uh, the person who shot Mr. Burns. So I think I think it calling him Chief Wiggum is kind of an insult. Well, okay, you may be right. Uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to think of fun insults, but so yeah. Again, we have Snooka addressing the death in his book, and the thing that angered the family is in the book. Jimmy Snooker writes and talks about how he felt Nancy ruined his life and he downplayed the relationship as she was just a from a town to town girlfriend and denied ever hurting her. Just, so here's the question that I had. Did Jimmy Snooker actually write that book or did his ghostwriter write the book? Well, I'm sure a ghostwriter wrote it, but I'm I'm guessing Jimmy Snuka just sat there and blabbed on about shit, and I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I'm spe- that I would speculate on is I'm not sure that he actually wrote it. Oh, I wouldn't think he did. Um, but anyway, again, throughout the the book and the interviews he does for the book, he's constantly telling different stories while maintaining his in- innocence. And then we go back to old Sam Fatu, the Tonga kid who claims on the night of the death that he rode with the couple and that uh, the ride was fun, they had a good time, they were chopping it up, they went to separate ways at their hotel, but he doesn't recall Snooka's story that they stopped at roadside and she went to the bathroom along the roadside and that's when the accident happened. He has no memory of this. He ends up walking away from the interviewer and an interesting note that was brought up by uh, Dave Meltzer is uh, Tonga Kid wasn't even on that taping. 
there seems to be some conflicting information about where he was. So it it's it just seems a little bit there seems to be a lot of back and forth on that. Yeah, and so after he says all this, we have uh, Barney Fife back talking about how basically how he doesn't remember shit. That is the gist of every one of this fucker's things. They ask him a question, like a detailed question. On the night of Nancy Argentina's death, where Jimmy Snooker claimed that she had an accident at roadside, what? And then they, they like get into a question specifically, and he's like, well, you know, we really didn't look into that because we didn't think there was just cause. And that briefcase was heavy. I mean, why did he sit down and do this? Like, nobody's putting a gun to his head and saying, Barney Fife, you absolutely have to do this interview. Like, there's no court order. There's nothing saying that he had to do this, and yet he did. It is bananas. It it really is. And I just, I can't think of anybody that has added less. Well, hang on. Let me correct myself. I can't think of anybody that has added less in terms of what they talked about to a story, but at the same time added more fuel to a fire of a story on one of these shows. I mean, it would not if 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 the Argentino family filed a lawsuit against him tomorrow, I would not be surprised. Well, I think we should look into this gentleman's Florida holdings and see what kind of fishing boat and uh, condos he has down there. I, I think mean, he probably doesn't remember those either. <laughs> oh, so the case is reopened in 2013 following the uh, paper in Allentown revisiting and getting the case reopened. It is opened in front of a grand jury. Snooka is charged with third degree murder at the age of 73 while he is suffering from stomach cancer. It becomes a really big story during this time. Snooka's health deteriorates during the trial. <clears throat> it is at this time that his attorney informs the judge that his client does not know what's going on, claims he's suffering from dementia, and it is ruled that Jimmy Snuka is now unfit to face trial and receive any kind of punishment. Given that he died a week after this, I have to believe that that was accurate. That you could say a lot of negative things, but... It does not sound like Jimmy Snuka's lawyer was lying. No, and I, I agree with you. And this trans transitions to Sam Fatu claiming that he's all sobbing and crying for Jimmy and talking about how he was a good man that people unfairly demonized. I mean, I think Sam Fatu, I think it comes off poorly, but and I'm not going to defend him, but if it is perhaps representative of his experience dealing with Jimmy Snuka that to him, Jimmy was great to him. Yeah. And that's why he can say that, but it's obvious that he was very abusive, perhaps towards women. If we were to talk to other women in his life, maybe that wouldn't be true. So basically to kind of wrap this up, what we have here is, there's no resolution and justice for Nancy and her family. They get no real closure about this. And at the end of the day, when all is said and done, Jimmy Snuka is looked at as an iconic performer for his time, but much like Chris Benoit, passes away or dies with a much maligned and tarnished legacy due to this whole situation with Nancy. And 
I mean, let's call it what it is. I mean, from everything you can put together, from everything I've read, from this, from that, Jimmy Snooker killed her. Yeah, I mean, the, that's what the evidence suggests. And perhaps it was an accident. Perhaps it was an act of rage, but that doesn't excuse it. And the, there was a lot of injustice done. And I think Jimmy Snook is clearly the person that should be held responsible. But when I when I think about these situations, and this, this happens a lot with the Harvey Weinsteins and the R. Kelly's of this world as well, is that, yes, these are repulsive, morally reprehensible people, but you can't just look at those people as being the only part of the problem. There are people who have enabled this behavior. Vince McMahon, the police commissioner, other people in Allentown, they enabled this situation to happen to where the Argentinos are not ever probably going to get any any justice. And that's the unfortunate part to me is that is that there are people who – I don't want to say the word conspired, but that's really the only word uh, that comes to mind is that people have conspired to help him get away with this and help him just not really be able to deal with those consequences. And I think that's so important to, to emphasize is that it's not just Jimmy Snuka who's the problem. It's also all of the people who enabled this to continue. Uh, I agree. So that is going to kind of wrap us up on this. We'll do our... Our closing thoughts here, Drew, man, um, uh, we kind of talked about this before we started recording. Um, I agree with you that uh, this was my least favorite and I think the lowest quality overall episode of the season. I think it, uh, number one, I think it needed more time. Um, as you mentioned early in the show, I wanted to know more about Jimmy Snook. I wanted to get deeper into things. I think it suffered from a, a few things. I think that there was too much Don Morocco because outside of being Snooker's rival, he, he really adds nothing to me in this. No. I mean, I think when, when Tony Atlas was a part of the Bruiser Brody documentary, that made a ton of sense. And I think that Tony Atlas added a lot to that conversation. And... I think it's really easy to look at him as kind of a buffoon and, oh, he has a foot fetish. But, like, he added a lot to those proceedings. Don Morocco really didn't, and I think that's a huge difference, is that just because somebody is a wrestler does not mean they have a lot to contribute. And I understand that they did want to have Sam Fatu in this, and I get why he was there. But, man, he did not come across very well. Uh, I agree. That's another one of my negatives for this episode. Uh, the police chief... This dude, again, he, he added so little, but at the same time, adds so much fuel to the fire on the conspiracy theory because it's very convenient to say, I don't remember anything. It's either, either he's stupid or he's covering something up. I mean, it was, it wasn't, it was funny but in this darkly comedic way, because it was just like, if I were to put this person in a, in a more widely seen documentary, like a Netflix documentary, I think there would be, this would take off as a meme. Like he yes. would be a meme within 48 hours of like when you don't remember something and they just put a pic, his picture up there. I mean, that's, that is the level of stupidity and there, again, there are times when you watch some docu-series and it feels like people are playing a character 
This guy was not playing a character. This guy was a, an utter buffoon, and he deserves his nickname. We have not used his real name, and I'm not going to tell you it. He will forever be Barney Fife the Third. That's right. So, again, like I said, I think it needed more time. I would have largely, largely downscaled the Don Morocco stuff. It would have been fine to have a couple comments from him for context for the Snooka Feud stuff. I don't think they um, utilized Irv Munchnik enough in this because he wrote a lot about it. The other negative takeaways I have is uh, we talked about last time, uh, it would have been nice to see Bix uh, interviewed for this because Bix did a ton of work from this. And I also think along with Bix, I think they really, again, he didn't have to be a major part of it, but I think you could have got some comments from Meltzer as well because he's covered this a lot over the years. I just think that you you could have got deeper into it in a lot of ways. Again, we we didn't need uh, Don Morocco. We certainly didn't need, didn't need a lot of Sam Fatu either. The show needed time, and it's uh, yeah. Again, it's I, I don't quite want to say it's bad, but it's I think the uh, in terms of execution, it wasn't nearly on the level of the other episodes, in my opinion. I, I enjoyed. Uh, for various reasons. Like, it's hard to say I enjoyed the Benoit one, but I mean, for what it was and what it accomplished and everything, I greatly enjoyed that one for what they tried to do, for the legacy they tried to leave Nancy in the end of it. The New Jack one, again, your mileage is going to vary on New Jack. I did think it was very well done. They covered a lot of the issues that people had only heard about over the years. These uh, alleged assaults or what you want to call them. You know what I mean? These were like urban uh, urban legends to a lot of people, and they actually had video of a lot of that. I thought the brawl for all was really good, and as you mentioned, Bart Gunn comes across as just the most down-to-earth, okay-with-his-lot-in-life dude after all this. I would give this uh, a gentleman's three out of five stars, if we're going to go with star ratings. I mean, that's about where I that's where I come down on this, because I don't think it was completely devoid of value. I'm glad that we got to hear from the Argentino family specifically, because I think it is important to hear from them, regardless of even if the rest of the documentary kind of faltered in certain places. I think hearing from the family and hearing their story and hearing about Nancy, I think that that's something that I think did deserve to be discussed in a public forum that was seen by a hundred or 200, 300,000 people. So I think for that alone, I think this documentary is worth checking out, even though I think it is very disappointing in certain areas. I think this is a really important story and it's one that I think is going to kind of get lost in the shuffle because again, there's so much going on with Vince McMahon right now that this is only the fourth worst thing to happen to him in a given week. But I think when you put it all together and you put, you know, the things that he's done this week with the Jimmy Snuka stuff and the fact that the season finale is about Owen Hart, I think there's going to be a lot of conversations about about Vince McMahon. And those are conversations that I think need to happen in a very important manner, not in a we are evaluating this man's legacy because of the success he's had in the WWF, but from a moral standpoint, what is this man's legacy and what look at the things that he has done over the years, covering a murder, doing all of these tribute shows because of wrestlers dying, not taking any responsibility for any of it. 
You think about some of the interviews that he did with Real Sports and with Bob Costas and how poorly those interviews turned out and his general behavior and the things that he's done just in the last few years. It is just awful. It really is. So that is the dark side of the ring. Uh, Jimmy Snook and the death of Nancy Argentino. Um, I didn't, my DVR cut off at the end. Did they say what is on tap for next week? The Dino Bravo assassination. Ah, yes. So we will get into the Dino Bravo one next, but, uh, Jerome, before I give the, uh, the, the closing, uh, where can everybody find your podcasting efforts outside of this? Uh, you can go to entertherealworld.com and you can find my podcasts Real Bad, where Kevin Ford and I discuss the uh, seasons of Breaking Bad. We are going to be recording our season five episode this weekend, and it's going to go up in a couple weeks, so you can listen to that. You can also go to at Hero Pantheon on Twitter to follow uh, the other podcast that I do where we discuss superhero movies. Uh, we are currently in the midst of discussing some 2019 movies, including Glass, Shazam, Hellboy, and Dark Phoenix next month, the month of May will be our final month doing the podcast for this volume as we will be reviewing the three 2019 MCU movies that include Spider-Man far from home, Captain Marvel, as well as Avengers Endgame. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jerome C 1985. My Twitter account for the next few Sundays is going to be dedicated to talking about the last dance the ESPN documentary about the Chicago Bulls. So just be ready for that, Larry. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I appreciate the warning. So uh, that will wrap us up for this episode of the show. I want to thank Jerome. I want to thank you guys for listening. It's greatly appreciated. Remember, you can follow the 411 on Wrestling Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, and any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choosing. Stay safe, everybody.